What's going on, everybody? Welcome and welcome back to Real Reality Realness with Cherie Laveau, the podcast where I, Cherie Laveau, dive deeper into reality television than most people watching feel is necessary and ask all the questions about the things that they don't want out. Today, I'm getting down to the real reality of RuPaul's Drag Race. And not just Drag Race, but my own journey as a drag queen. I'm going to talk about my love for the show, my journey watching it, that time I auditioned, and my own journey as a drag performer and where I started, where I've come from, why I retired, and why I'm coming back to the stage. Lock in while I clock in, because I'm about to get into it. All right, all right, all right, everybody. We are back and it is that time. What is going on, everybody? This is Real Reality Realness with Cherie Laveau and I am indeed Cherie Laveau. How's everybody feeling? What's going on? What reality TV are you watching? How's the weather? All the things are the things. I want to know it all. I'm doing well. I'm feeling good. It is sunny outside and today I am watching RuPaul's Drag Race. That is the theme of today's episode. We're going to be talking about my love for the show, my personal experience with drag, that time I auditioned and you know just we're gonna get into it y'all know how we do it but before we start the episode I want to give some church announcements you know you know what I mean let's give some church announcements I have some things to say okay so I wanted to start off by announcing that I'm going to be adding a weekly visual element to the podcast I'm going to be adding a weekly recap show on my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina. If you don't know, that's J-O-R-J-A, spelt like Georgia Smith, and then Carolina, spelt like both states, okay? I'm going to be adding a weekly visual element to the podcast called Real Reality Realness, The Super Chat, right? And what this is going to be, it's going to be my weekly recap of the shows. I'm going to be talking about all the episodes that I did for the week because I finally figured out how I want to structure the release schedule for my podcast. Okay. I love how I've been able to put out so many episodes in such quick succession. And I was doing that at first because I didn't have a lot of content on the podcast. All The majority of my content is on my YouTube channel, but I was reaching out to people to come on my my podcast to do interviews, and I only had like one episode, two episodes on there. So I was trying to record, uh, trying to record a bunch of episodes quickly so that I could give them something to click on and view without having to go through a bunch of links and do all of the things of the things, right? And so once I started doing that, I recorded like seven, eight episodes in like seven or eight days. And I started realizing, oh, I'm doing a podcast like every single day, right? And I kind of like that format, but I don't want to overwhelm myself and commit myself to doing a podcast every single day of the week, right? So I figure why not do it like a talk show? I was watching the premiere of Sherry Shepard's show this week, Jennifer Hudson's show, Karamo's show. Congratulations to all of the people who started talk shows this week, especially my fellow African-Americans. Shout out to y'all. We are Issa Rae in this thing. I'm always voting for everybody black, Um, especially when they're qualified. Now, 
I was thinking and I got inspired and I was like, why don't I just do five days a week, take Saturday and Sunday off from doing the podcast. But then I was thinking about how can I incorporate my podcast into my YouTube channel and keep both of those things going simultaneously, right? Because at first, if you listen to the first episode or two, I say that I'm going to be putting the podcast on my YouTube channel, right? Well, that didn't work out because I can't extract the audio from the app to my phone to upload it to YouTube to do all of the things of the things. I created a thumbnail for it and everything, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. That didn't work out. So I said, well, let me go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to do it because what I had planned for my channel when I came back to YouTube was doing vlogs about my drag, right? That also ties into this episode. So I said, why don't I just do like a recap show every week, kind of like the Real Housewives after show where I discuss all the things that happened in the episodes this week. I, you know, make it fun for the audience. If it, if people submit questions or answer the questions that I attach to the episodes, then I'll read their answers there and, you know, do all of that. And that way I can keep fresh content coming from my YouTube channel while also maintaining the podcast and have it sort of as cross promotion for the other. So I can, you know, promote the podcast on my YouTube channel every week by doing a YouTube by by doing a recap show and also have fresh content that also promotes the podcast and then vice versa because I'm going to be promoting the YouTube channel which houses the recap show. So it's a win-win situation, right? So out of that Real Housewives the Real Real Housewives the Super Chat, Real Reality Realness the super chat was born because I wanted it to be a direct correlation with the podcast. And the reason why I chose the name the super chat was because it's specifically a YouTube term, right? And so I wanted it to be apparent that this is an, this is a YouTube exclusive version of the podcast, right? This is like the the video version, but it's not actually each episode. It's a recap of that week's episodes because the pod is going to air Monday through Friday, and then the recaps are going to air on Sundays. And what's going to happen, it's going to be me reflecting on this past week's episodes, and then it's going to be me getting ready and preparing and, and like giving you guys some tidbits on what's going to be coming from the next week's set of episodes, right? So like I said, the pod is now going to officially air Monday through Friday and the recap is going to air on Sundays. I'm going to get the recap done and it's going to premiere on my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. So that's 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And some of these segments that are going to be on the recap show, I'm going to be choosing my favorite podcast of the week. Because after I record and post the podcast, I go back and listen to each one of them. And so I'm going to be choosing my favorite podcast of the week. And I'm also going to have an honorable mention because, you know, sometimes it's hard to choose just one. You know, sometimes it's just hard to choose just one. I'm going to be choosing some of my biggest moments from the podcast, things that just live rent-free in my mind, things that I can't stop thinking about, things that I go back to and play over and over again from the from the week's episodes. We're going to find some moments in there and really talk about some shit that blew my mind that week. I'm going to be talking about my favorite 
episode of reality TV that I watched that week. Because as you know, there's a million reality shows. There's a million new episodes every week. (laughs) Excuse me. There's always something to talk about. So I'm going to go through all the shows that I watch that are in my roster. And I'm going to choose my favorite of the week. And I'm going to dissect it and recap it. Maybe recap it. But I'm going to choose it. I'm going to um, let 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 you guys know what's coming up next week. What you can expect from the next week's set of episodes. If we have any guests, who's coming on the podcast. What I'm going to be talking about. What episodes I'm going to be doing. All of that type of stuff. You're, you're going to get a sneak peek into what you can expect for the next five days on the, on the Super Chat. I'm also going to talk about what I'm most looking forward to as far as reality TV goes. You know how at the end of the episodes, they always say next time on. Well, I'm going to choose my 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 favorite next time on and see which one really excited me and see which one I really want to get into and what which one is going to be my appointment TV for the week. Right. Uh, so so I'm going to share any lessons that I've learned revelations that I've had whether on the pod or through the or through or through the shows that I've been watching so I'm going to have a little reflective moment and talk about all the things that I'm going to be working on and all the things that I've learned things that kind of just stood out to me as like touched me whatever would have you and then I am going to answer any questions submitted right You know, at the end of each podcast, I ask you guys to leave me a voice message. Let me know what you think about the show. Submit any questions. I attach an episode. I attach a question to each episode of each podcast on Spotify. And, um, and I just, you know, kind of want to gauge your opinions on the show or open the floor for questions if you have anything to ask. Well, this is going to be where I answer all of those questions. So I'm going to collect all of those questions because I can't actually reply to, to the questions on Spotify. I'm going to collect all of those questions from there and from all the other places that I'm going to tell you where to leave questions. And I'm going to read them all and I'm going to answer them right there in the video. Okay, so if you want to leave any questions, the first the first episode of the Snooper Ch- the first episode of the Super Chat is going up on this Sunday. It's going to be September 12th, if I'm not mistaken, but it's going to be this coming Sunday. And I'm going to be taking questions there if you have any, but I'm going to be recapping this whole week of episodes and calling it a day and let and letting you guys know what's coming up for 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 the next week. So, where you can submit questions is the question that I leave on the episode of the podcast on Spotify. You can respond there with your questions and leave me any questions that you want to leave. Um, you can leave it in the comments of the videos that I do, like in the comments of the Super Chat videos. You can leave your questions in those comments on my YouTube channel. Um, you can leave questions on the post that I make about the podcast in my community tab. I post about each e- uh, 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 about each episode that's coming up and you can leave me questions in there and just say, I'll think of a um, hashtag by the end of me telling you where to leave all this stuff. But um, yeah, leave questions there. If you follow me on my social medias, if you follow the show on social media specifically, Real Reality Realness on Instagram, 
on any of the posts for any of the episodes. If you have a question about the episodes, you can leave the questions in the comments of the post about the episodes, right? So that's the episode on Spotify for one. Leave me questions there. Leave me questions on my Instagram for the podcast at Real Reality Realness under the post about the episode that you have a question for. On my YouTube community channel, on my YouTube channel community tab, where I do post about each episode as well, you can leave me comments under which um, post that you have the um, question about. And you can also leave me a voice message. I leave the link in the description of each episode. And I also leave it in the posts of the um, of the episodes in my, in my community channel. I, 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 I'll leave the link there as well. And I also created a link page, a, uh, a, a web page with all of my links on it. That is in the bio of all of my social medias. So the social media, um, the Instagram for the podcast, Real Reality Realness, my personal Instagram, Cherie Laveau, my personal Twitter account, Cherie Laveau, has the link with all the links to the show, to the YouTube channel, to the playlist that I've created for the Super Chat specifically. Um, If you want to email me, uh, all those things, all of that will be on the link that is in my description box. So that is going to be the Super Chat. And I am doing that once a week. Once again, it's going to air on Sundays. And it's going to talk about all of the shows that are going to be airing on the on the podcast now, Monday through Friday, straight talk show style. And then we're going to get a preview of what's coming up for next week. So let me know what you guys think. Let, 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 let me know if, if, you, if you're excited. Make sure you go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina. Georgia spelled like Georgia Smith, J-O-R-J-A. And then Carolina spelled like both states. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll get back to the pod. Be right back. All right, everybody. Now that we've gotten through the announcements and gotten all the important stuff out of the way, now we can get to the juice. Okay? Today, we're talking RuPaul's Drag Race, and we're talking... Drag Race, my experience with the show, my love of the show, why I'm wrapped up in it, how I got wrapped up in it, all that type of stuff. How without RuPaul's Drag Race, I probably wouldn't have done drag, even though I was raised in drag before RuPaul's Drag Race ever premiered. My personal experience being a drag queen and all of those things. So we're going to be talking all things drag and drag race. Okay. Now, my personal history with the show is kind of extensive, but to start my history with drag, I would have to precede RuPaul's Drag Race's existence because I have been around drag and raised in drag since I was 15, 16 years old, okay? I joined my first drag house not as a drag queen, just as one of the kids. And I ended up being, you know, one of the background dancers for my drag mother. Um, The House of Chanel. Um, I didn't background dance in the, in the, 
in the house of Chanel. I ended up background dancing in the house of Sinclair um, a couple years later, but we'll get to that. So I joined my first drag house, the, the house of Chanel. It was right after my 16th birthday. And I met the first trans woman I ever met. That was the first time I ever really like saw myself and was like, whoa, I look, I feel like I'm supposed to look like that. And not like look like the woman herself, but just like the embodiment of like a woman who, you know, is is of trans experience. You can piece that together for yourself, right? We're not going to be crass. But... It was my first time being around drag, being around trans women, really um, being around a community of gay people at one time. You know, most of the time when you're younger and you're a queer kid, especially for me, I was like one of the only ones. And so I didn't really have like a community of gay friends or I didn't have like a group of gay friends or people with like like minds like me. I didn't have that, honestly, until I was 19 and and I went to Job Corps. That was when I really had my first like crew of gay friends. And like, anyway, shout out to y'all. Y'all know who y'all are. Anyway, so it was in the house of Chanel that I learned so much about drag. I learned so much about drag queens, you know, all of the experiences that I had. I had such a great time. I met all types of people. Um, Stacey Lane Matthews, before she was on Drag Race, I met her because we're both from North Carolina. So I got to meet her just through the drag pageant circle and, and, you know, traveling around with my drag parents. Shout out to Malaya Chanel Iman, shout out to Monique Chanel, shout out to Jessica Chanel, shout out to shout out to the entire house of Chanel, um, shout out to the entire house of Iman, and um, because they were the first house that I really came into the scene with, right? And then later on, I joined the house of Sinclair with Cheetah Sinclair, now now Tara J. Shout out to Cheetah, I love you. Dearly, I love you down. Shout out to Diamond Cartier. Um, shout out to all of you guys. Y'all know who, who y'all are from that era of my life. I love all of you dearly. Love you still. Mercedes Sinclair. Um, love you to pieces. And so that was when I started, you know, background dancing for the kids or whatever, blah, 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 blah. So how that leads into Drag Race. Drag Race premiered in 2009. That was the year I graduated high school. So I had already been around drag for like two or three years. I was one of the girls. If you listen to a lot of older drag queens, I I don't know if the um, kids are still doing this now. But I was one of the kids that you would hear about in the older days of drag that was underage, sneaking in the clubs, carrying their drag mother's drag, carrying the suitcases, carrying the garment bags, carrying the jewelry and all of those things to... You know, sneak in the club before the pageant starts, before the club, before the club is open and, you know, just hide out so nobody cards you or or IDs you or your drag mother, you know, talks to the bouncer for you so they won't, you know, mess with you. And like they'll just give you an 18 and over stamp, but they won't let you drink stuff like that. Um, But of course, you know. All the drag mothers let their let their kids get a sip of the cocktail. You know what I mean? Shout out to all of y'all. I love all of y'all. I'm this little trip down memory lane is kind of making me feel nostalgic. Um, 
because I just moved away. So it's not like there was like big falling outs with with people or there's any, you know, bad blood between me and any of the people from my past. So if any of you listen to this, shout out to all of you, all the people that I named before, all the people that I didn't name. I love all of you. Y'all know who y'all are and you know you're special to me. But Drag Race started in 2009. I remember watching the first season because it aired simultaneously on VH1 as it did on Logo. I didn't have Logo because my grandmother had a basic cable package. But what we did have is the VH1. So the first season, it coincided and aired on VH1 at the same time. And I remember, for some reason, I had this vision of myself watching it late at night. But it was probably just dark outside and I had the lights off because I am basically a vampire. And I don't turn on lights unless I absolutely have to. But that's not important. But I remember watching the the, uh, show. I remember seeing this blurry ass filter. And I just remember enjoying it because I was familiar with drag. You know, that's how I become familiar with a lot of content that I become familiar with is because it is correlated in some type of way with some other content that I'm already familiar with. So I can have like a degree of separation, be like, oh, that reminds me of this. So I can, you know, do that. Right. And so I, I've watched the, the show literally from season one. I've seen every single season of Drag Race up until season... 11 when Evie oddly won up until season 11 I had watched every single episode seen every single episode watched every untuck watched every what what you pack in all of that stuff and then after season 11 I kind of fell back on drag race there, there was a lot going on there, 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 there was a lot of drama happening within the fandom and it just kind of led me to like take a step back for my own mental health and my peace um, and at that time, I was doing drag at that point. And so not only was it kind of getting harder to be a part of the Drag Race fandom, I was also working with girls from the show and learning about their experiences because I was hosting shows that, you know, Drag Race girls were coming to perform at. And I would, you know, talk to them and get their experiences and, you know, try to connect with them. And they would tell me about, you know, what they were going through. And it just kind of turned me off, especially the the, the uh, queens of color. Shout out to Raja O'Hara specifically. I, I love you, Stoney. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know Stoney, but I know Stoney. Raja O'Hara is the Stoney to my Cleo. So, um, but yeah, that's an inside joke because I worked with her one time and we connected over Facebook be- before the show. And once we got to the show together, got in the dressing room, it was like an instant big sister, little sister type of vibe. We kicked it. We hung out. We chilled. We 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 conversed. And we've kind of maintained some sort of connection over the years with each other. She um, sent me a video for my birthday singing happy birthday to me. And I still have that video to this day. So for her birthday, I wrote a rap and sent it to her for her birthday. Like, I love Raja O'Hara so much. But um, shout out to you, Stoney. Love you the best. But um, yeah, so when I stopped watching the the, the um, show, I was kind of overwhelmed and, and hyper involved with drag, not only as a TV show, but as a full-blown concept because it had... It, 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 it had become my life at that point, right? But to jump backwards, 
we're going to talk about how the show led me to doing drag because that's pretty much my basic history with the show. After that, you know, I've jumped in and I was mostly watching All Stars. After that, I wasn't really watching new seasons, but I did predict a lot of the winners without even watching the show. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, To go forward, we would have to jump back now because we've pretty much gotten to my full history with the show up until the point that I stopped watching consistently. And now we have to jump backwards a little bit to to talk about how I got into doing drag, right? So the season was season eight. And the whole reason I started doing drag was I was watching season eight And Bob the Drag Queen walked around that corner with the unt um, bodysuit on with the C on the arm. Let me ask y'all something. How long did it take you to realize that Bob's bodysuit was actually spelling cunt, but the C was in the arm sleeve? How long did it take you to realize that? Because... I, that's the reason why I fell in love with, but I was like, that is smart drag. That is brilliant. But we'll get into that later because I want to go on a full deep dive on Bob the Drag Queen and why Bob the Drag Queen is the reason why I started doing drag. But it led me to doing drag because I was watching season eight. I fell in love with Bob. I related to Bob. And after... Bob came on the show, and then after Shea Coulee came on in season nine, it really kind of put the fire in my ass to go ahead and do it, right? So, I started doing drag. I, you know, we'll talk about my my, my uh, journey in drag in a minute. I want to talk about some of my standout moments from the Drag Race history, but I wanted to give you guys that little bit of connection as to how Drag Race has kind of woven itself throughout my entire life and how I met a Drag Race girl before she was a Drag Race girl. I started doing drag because of a Drag Race girl, even though I was already surrounded and involved with drag and in drag houses and all of that type of stuff. I already had a drag family, but never had an interest in doing drag. But I'll dive into that in a minute. I wanted to take a moment to shout out some of the moments that live rent-free in my mind from Drag Race and my, like, favorite moments from the show. Some of the moments that, like, when I talk about quintessential Drag Race, the moments that are, like, peak Drag Race moments in my mind that if I had to just name a moment in three seconds or less, it would be one of these moments that would come to my mind. Number one is Dita Ritz, This Will Be Lip Sync. Dita Ritz lip syncing This Will Be in front of Natalie Cole single-handedly taught me the importance of lip syncing. I think Dita Ritz taught me how to lip sync with that performance. When I always, like, every time somebody asks me what's my favorite lip, lip sync, I always say number one is Dita Ritz, This Will Be, and number two is Tandy Iman Dupree, um, in her Wonder Woman talent. When she drops from the sky and she drops into that split, look it up on YouTube. I'll drop... Well, in fact, I'll drop the link to it in the description of the episode if I remember. 
Um, let me make a flag right here and make a note of that to go back and do that. Um, yeah, so it always goes back to that, right? Dita Ritz, this will be lip, lip, lip sync, truly taught me how to lip sync. Every time I watch that lip, 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 lip sync, I literally get chills. It is an emotional lip sync. It is powerful. I've literally cried to that lip sync. I can guarantee you I've shed tears watching Dita Ritz do that lip sync. And it's single-handedly like what made lip syncing important to me. And mind you, this is coming from somebody who had at least a, a two to three year history with drag queens and seeing lip syncing and, and all of that stuff and seeing performing up close in the room, handing drag queens a dollar. But it, but like I said, I never wanted to do drag until season eight. But when I think about drag race lip syncs that mean something to me, it will always start and end with Dita Ritz, 1000%. I did a video on my YouTube channel about my top 10 lip syncs. My top 10 drag race lip syncs of all time. Let me make a flag here to make sure to add that into the episode because I keep telling myself that I'm going to do things and then I'll forget, but I also forget that I have a way to remind myself to do it just by adding flags in the episode to say, hey, you're supposed to remember to do something here. Anyway, um, I made a video on my YouTube channel about my top 10 drag race lip syncs of all time. And Dita Ritz's This Will Be is number one. There is nine more that are in my top 10 and then I have some honorable mentions, but none of them compare or made me feel anything close to what Dita Ritz's lip sync made me feel. With the exception, there's only one that truly opened up the emotion of music and performance and drag and connected all of that to me on a personal level that I truly connected with. It was Latrice Royale's Natural Woman lip sync when she lip synced against Kenya Michaels. That taught me something else very fundamental about drag and about lip syncing specifically. It taught me, because I'm a dancer, because my background is dance, because I come from dance, because I think like a dancer, I always think that I have to dance to turn it. Or not even that I have to, it's just my own insecurity. Like I know where my strengths are and I'm a strong dancer first. So I always think that if I'm not dancing, I'm not turning it, right? And Latrice Royale standing in one spot the entire performance. If Park and Bark was a person, it would be Latrice Royale standing there holding that pregnant belly and just singing Aretha Franklin's natural woman to her pregnant, but to her baby. Oh my God. It touched me so hard. Like that is what you're supposed, that is how you lip sync. That is how you do drag. You're supposed to make the person feel something. Dita Ritz and Latrice Royale will always be two of my top favorite lip syncers of all time on or off the show because of that reason. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh my God. No Rona. 
no Rona, no monkeypox. I don't know if the monkeypox make you cough, but I ain't sick. I'm sitting here drinking tea and child. I think I might be spilling too much. It's going down the wrong pipe, child. I'm trying to spill and sip at the same time. It's not working. It's not paralleling. But Tandy Iman Dupree will always be one of my favorite drag performances of all time. But if you're talking about lip syncs on the show, off the show that made you feel something, it's Dita Ritz, This Will Be, and and Latrice Royale, Natural Woman. I still get chills just thinking about those lip syncs and then watching them. Oh my goodness. Let me make sure to put a flag right here to make sure that I put in Dita Ritz's lip sync, Latrice Royale's lip sync, and Tandy Iman Dupree's lip sync as well. There's going to be a lot of links in this episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that is one of the things that I think about first when it comes to drag races, lip syncing, because it's one of the fundamentals of drag, right? It's one of the staples of drag. And it also leans into the performance element, which is my base, which is my zhuzh. So I always think about lip lip syncing first when I think about standout moments. And speaking of lip syncs, there's one that stands out to me that happened in a lip sync that I think It was a subtle thing, but it also changed Drag Race forever. It was one of those things where, like, it set a precedent for how queens were going to appear on the show after that. And it was Roxy Andrews' wig reveal during the Whip My Hair lip sync. When I say that was some of the most fish, ahi, tuna, mahi, mahi, swordfish pussy cunt nasty slick oh that was so sickening oh that was good drag that was good drag oh that wig reveal was just so smooth it was just like swoop it was like she it you know what that wig reveal looked like it looked like the wig was just a hood that she had on her head like Like she had a hoodie on and she just flipped her hood off. Or like she flipped a veil right off her face. The way she slipped that wig off her head just ever so slightly and whipped that head. Girl. That, I'm getting, I'm, girl, I just must be cold because I'm getting chills all over the place. That was one of the moments. Like that was the first oh my God moment. I remember from Drag Race, like, that was just like, whoa, that was sick. That was crazy. Because it was so unexpected, right? I think with Dita Ritz's and and Latrice Royale's lip sync, especially with Dita's, Dita's was sickening, but I was so caught up in the emotion I was feeling watching it. Like, I felt her determination. I felt her motivation. I felt her fight. I was fighting with her. My heart is racing every time I watch that lip sync because she wants it so bad. She is turning it. She is not going to embarrass herself in front of Natalie Cole lip syncing her song. Yo, really though? They really need to have more musicians on the show and, and have people lip sync to their songs because that is just a natural element of tension that you don't have to write or produce. Just a thought. 
But that Roxy Andrews wig reveal was something, it was just so slick and it was just so pussy. It was so, it was just so smooth. It was just, ugh. I haven't seen a wig reveal since that was just that natural and that smooth and that slick until Monet exchanged, pulled off the wig and had the exact same wig underneath. Oh, on All Stars 4. Oh, that was magic for me. I absolutely loved that. That shit was everything. She snatched that bitch off and it was like, swoop, blink and you missed it. If you didn't blink, you probably missed it because you thought that that she just put her head up there. Put, you thought that she just put her hand up there and just swiped her head. No, she pulled a whole wig off and y'all missed it. That is good drag. But she also did it earlier in the season when I think she did the roast of um, Lady Bunny and she came up with the sunglasses and she pulled the sunglasses off and she had the reading glasses underneath. That is good, good drag. That is good comedy. That is just good instinctual comedic timing. It's so funny. I love subtle humor like that. Something that is just real slick. And if you blink, you miss it. But if you're paying attention, it is the funniest shit in the entire episode. That's why I love Monet Exchange because she's one of those girls who she thrives in that type of humor. Just like on All Star 7 when she was like, so your name's Miss Toe? And it's an episode about Christmas, right? So the setup is that you're obviously gonna think that her first name is Missile right? Which there could have been a whole nother joke about Missile. But I think the easier joke that they made was funny. When she was like, yeah, my, my, my name is Miss Toe. First name, Camel. <laughs> what Monet Exchange is so good at is giving you moments that you almost didn't expect to happen. And it happens so quick and it's so subtle that you didn't expect it, but it's so funny. It's so impactful and it's so quick, but it hits so hard. I love Monet. But the wig reveal was everything, right? One of the other moments that sticks out in my mind that I will never forget because I was silently suffering through this at the exact same time and watching this episode and watching her do this was something that was so inspiring to me. Watching Monica Beverly Hills come out as trans on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh my God. Why am I getting emotional? Why am I getting emotional? Oh my God. Um, watching that, watching her come out as trans on the runway, it was something that was so hard for me to watch because I came out as gay at 13. Well, at 12, really. I came out as gay at 12 and it was because I was too scared to say that I was trans. And I felt like me coming out as gay would be easier because it was becoming less and less, it was becoming less and less, um, well, I'll say it was becoming more and more apparent that I was a little gay boy, right? What they didn't know was that I was a little trans girl by they, I mean my parents. But it was, you know, 
the 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 conversations kept coming up about homosexuality and church and gay people go to hell and da 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 and, and are you gay after telling me I'm going to go to hell are you gay those type of conversations and so I came out as gay at 13 at 12 13 same difference it was right around there because I thought that it would be easier And I thought it would be easier to understand for the people around me who saw that I walked with a switch. I carried myself like 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 a girl. I dressed in, you know, little short shorts all the time. And, um, you know, I was tucking as a kid and I was and I would only wear um, briefs as underwear because I would turn them around and tuck Um, when I was going to school every day. I've never said that out loud before. I've never told anybody that. Oh, wow. Y'all, we close. Y'all, we must go together. Because I don't just up and tell people shit. But I'm in the midst of telling this story. And, and you know, I haven't really talked about how Monica Beverly Hills has really inspired me on RuPaul's Drag Race just because it's never come up in conversation but I just write bullet points in my notes and I just riff and let it go so whatever comes up comes out and I never I never carried myself like a little like a little boy but there was only so much that I was able to do like I was the kid that you know I was a latchkey kid so I was at home by myself a lot and I spent a lot of time in baby drag I would be walking around in you know towels on my head towels around my body as a dress and a wig and I would have a have the little headband on and say that I was LaToya Jackson but talented and I would just go off around the house by myself I would be doing fashion shows I'd be working on my runway walk I would have my towel positioned to be a bust down middle part like Naomi Campbell. If you pay attention to how my hair always looks now, you'll understand that Naomi Campbell has been a reference of mine for a long time. Um, And so, you know, I just... I was living my trans identity by myself for such a long time and not being able to say anything to anybody and living my life as a little gay boy, which I didn't realize that I thought it would be easier for people to understand and explain away this behavior of why is he switching? Why does he act like that? Why does he always talk about boys? Because I was I was a person who always growing up, I've said this all the time and I'm sure that my my, um, my um, biological father and my stepmom can tell you this. I've always referred to boys as if I wasn't biologically born as one. Like, even growing up, I would be talk, talking about, oh, boys are so stupid. Like, I can't understand, like, why boys act like that? Why do boys move like that? Like, I just don't understand. Like, I've always carried myself with the understanding of me being a female or me being a woman or me being a girl, Right. Bringing that back to Monica Beverly Hills and watching her come out as trans, I that connected with my story, and it and it made me so connected to her, and it made me feel so understood, and it made me feel like there's a possibility that I could have this life and that I could actually transition and be myself because I spent a long time 
thinking that I would never be able to transition. I spent a lot of time thinking that I would never be able to live as myself and be my true self and live as the woman and eventually the genderless android that I really am. And so I just, I really appreciate Monica Beverly Hills for having the courage and the angst and the desire to do that because that's, you know, I I hate when people call people being themselves brave, but the act of actually coming out and saying that on national television at a time where the conversation around trans people was not only vague, but it was also violent, ignorant, judgmental, dismissive. It was nothing positive, even within the community. It was not positive. So I just extend the highest amount of appreciation to Monica Beverly Hills for being courageous enough courageous enough to come out as trans and give me the representation I didn't have at the time. That was one of my first times I saw myself on television, you know, Monica Beverly Hills and T.S. Madison are the first two trans women that I ever saw that I that I related to. You know what I mean? Um, because listening to Monica Beverly Hills' story on the runway, I connected to that. And then T.S. Madison was the first trans woman that I was one of the first trans women that I ever saw and that I connected to because she was the first trans woman that I saw that was publicly comfortable with her genitalia and not having sexual reassignment surgery. That's another reason why it took me so long to finally begin my transition. One, because I never thought that I would have the opportunity or the support or that nobody would ever understand me enough to support me like Monica Beverly Hills and a lot of trans women growing up who felt like they knew who they were, but felt trapped in their body and didn't know how they were going to be themselves and didn't know how they were going to get out of this situation and didn't even know how to go about trying to get out. Do you know what I mean? But also, I was somebody who never developed dysphoria around my genitalia because I grew up, like I said, positioning my thought process and reacting to things as I was under the impression that I was already female, right? It wasn't until I was maybe seven or eight years old that I realized that my genitalia was different from the other little girls. And so I was an intuitive kid. I was nosy. I was left by myself a lot because my mother worked and and she was a single mom. So I had a lot of time to like really, you know, develop this keen sense of mischief and and um, exploration and discovery and getting into things and figuring things out. And if you want to go and figure something out, well, I'm home by myself. There's no one to act. So you better go figure it out yourself. You know what I mean? Um, And I did research on girls with penises. Mind you, this was the early stages of the internet. Mind you, when I was researching trans women, it was at a time where... People still sent you the internet in the mail. Okay? I don't know. Now, mind you, some people are probably looking at me and and they're look some people are listening to me and looking at their phone right now like I just said I was born the day after Jesus was nailed to the cross. When I was looking up my gender identity and things and things surrounding my gender identity, 
they were still sending you CDs in the mail with trials of the internet. Okay? So you can imagine the information that was available at the time and what was truly out there about trans people and what people really were talking about and what information was truly available, right? So you can imagine the things that I found when I go into Yahoo or AOL search engine and I look up girls with penis, right? And at the time... There was in a very there was a very offensive term called a hermaphrodite. Please excuse me, all the intersex people who are hearing that. I know that word is triggering, but I'm just giving context. Um, not my verbiage, but that was what I came to the impression that I was under. Trans women wasn't really something that was used or personified as what that was. Um, you know, I came under the impression that I was intersex and I came under the impression that I was just a woman who was born with different genitalia and that my breasts would develop when I hit puberty. So like, I thought I was born with one part and the rest will grow when I hit puberty, like the rest of the girls, the um, girls get, get, um, get breasts when they hit um, puberty, I'll grow mine. And then I hit 14 and 15. And that didn't happen, right? I turned 14, 15 and I started, you know, growing and I started getting taller and I started, you know, growing hair and I started puberty and things started happening in ways that I just did not understand. And it made the reason why my parents forced me to live as a boy for so long, it made it make sense to me because my mind was programmed from birth under the impression that I was female, right? So I didn't understand why I had to wear boys' clothes, why I had to be called a boy, why I had a boy's name, why I had to go to the boys' bathroom and do all of this and why I couldn't wear certain things and da-da-da-da-da, why I couldn't grow my hair out. And I think the reason why my mom wouldn't let me grow my hair out is because I didn't tell her that I wanted to look like, you know, one of the, like, like, I feel like had I told my mom that I wanted to look like Ludacris, she would have let me grow my hair out. But I think the fact that I told her that I wanted to look, look more like Aaliyah, that probably turned her off. She, she was probably like, oh, I don't think you can, no, I don't want to, I don't want to enable your faggotry, basically. Um, and so I, so I, so I was never allowed to grow my hair out and do all of those things. But you know, it's just a lot. Like I think that I left plenty of signs, and there were plenty of instances in my life that I was not only like, like attracted to men. I was trans. Like it wasn't about me being gay. So I can't say that I was also gay. It was the fact that I appeared to be gay because biologically I appeared to be male. However through my mental understanding what the issue was is that I was a little trans girl thinking I was intersex being forced to live as male who was attracted to men do you get what I mean it but I say all of that to say to bring that back up to Monica Beverly Hills and T.S. Madison T.S. Madison was the first trans woman that I ever saw who was comfortable with all of her parts right or 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 rather comfortable with her genitalia and, and she embraced it 
it wasn't like she was comfortable with it because she just knew that she wouldn't be able to afford surgery. So she just said, fuck it. It was something that she embraced and she loved and she had no dysphoria around it. And she, you know, she lived for it. And that was her thing. So I connected to that. And she was living as a woman and she, you know, presented as a woman. She dressed as a woman. She had a woman's name. She, you know, did all the things of the things, but she kept every, she kept that part of her, that part of her body intact. And I was like, that's the type of woman I want to be. And so it kind of, it was like seeing Monica Beverly Hills made things make sense. And then seeing T.S. Madison made me feel like, oh, I can actually transition. Do you get what I mean? And so that's the, that's the connection and the reason why I just told that story. Okay. So we're going to move along to the first dip that was ever shown on Drag Race. It was Shangela during the share believe lip sync i can't remember what she was wearing but i think the outfit was ridiculous if i'm not mistaken but for some reason what's flashing in my mind is her doing a dip in the fat suit during the peanut butter lip sync against trixie mattel on all stars three but that's not the dip that i'm talking about shangela delivered the first dip drag race fandom knows it as a death drop but she delivered the first dip on drag race and it was during the share um lip sync believe and the reason why that that stood out to me so much was because at that time in drag the ballroom girls and the drag girls it was very separate and i didn't see a lot of drag queens walking in ballroom at the time little did i know that there are entire drag categories right but at that time, back in the day, back in back at that time when I was really coming up in drag and I was, you know, 15, 16 and really like just getting around the girls, it was very separated. And there wasn't really girls who just perform just to perform. Like now you can go to a club, do a guest spot, earn yourself a cast spot and then start making money like 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 that back then you had to go through the pageant system if you were a, you were a drag queen and you got booked because you were recognized through pre- through pageants and and you had a title and so you started booking because you got guaranteed bookings with your prize package and then you got to get yourself seen and then people would book you based off of your talent and your appearances off of your bookings right you would get booked off of bookings that was how it was back then That was just how it was, which is also part of the reason why it took me so long to ever do drag was because I didn't want to be a pageant girl. Like, I lived for my drag mothers. I love Malaya Chanel Iman. I think she's so sickening. She's such a talented queen, but she didn't inspire me to do drag. I love Cheetah Terrajay, formerly Sinclair. She's a sickening fucking queen, and she was an amazing drag mother as well. I love them both to pieces. I love Monique Chanel. She's my drag grandmother. I still call her my drag grandmother because I'm still in touch with her to this day. I still talk to her. I still reach out to her. I still check on her. She recently moved not too far from me. Well, not recently. She's been there for like a few years and we just check in in with each other, but we haven't gotten a chance to link up yet. But I love Monique. I love Monique Chanel to pieces. They are, they are some of the first queens that I ever saw and they helped me fall in love with drag, 
right? Those are the people who helped me fall in love with drag, but I didn't want to do drag because I wasn't, I didn't identify with that type of drag. I lived for it. It was beautiful. It was sickening. It was lovely to watch. It was beautiful to be their son and, you know, protect them. I felt like it, it was an honor to stand next to them. It still is to this day. They're all amazing queens. Go and follow every last one of them. But it didn't inspire me to do drag because that wasn't my drag, right? So the girls in the ballroom who were doing the voguing and doing the dips and doing the spins and the kicks and the turns, they weren't doing drag. And drag queens weren't voguing back in the day. If you saw a drag queen vogue, it was like shocking. The girls go up. It was like a gimmick. If you saw, like, I remember one time there was a queen called Arabia Night Adams. Rest in peace. And I remember being at a show. I believe the club is Warehouse 29 in Greensboro, North Carolina. Ooh. This is like a walk down memory lane, honey. We are stro- we are easing down the yellow brick road right now. And I remember this moment. It lives rent-free in my mind because I was there on a date with another drag queen who I was really interested in. Shout out to you. I can't remember your drag name, but I do remember your legal name. JB, hey babe. I ain't gonna say your name on the pod, but your initials are JB. Hey boo, shout out to you. Um... I was there on a date with another drag queen, right? Because I'm the type of person at that time, it's not that I was attracted to women, but I was open to about being attracted to, 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 to drag queens. If I found you hot out of drag, a lot of the times I would be able to find you hot in drag. And so the reason why I wanted to date that queen was because I found her just as hot in drag as I did out of drag. And so I was happy to be there as her little boyfriend, as her little boo thing, as her little, you know, piece or whatever. But I remember being there and seeing Arabia Night Adams perform. And she was performing, she was doing her thing. The drag queens back then, they were bucking, honey. And if you ever see queens like Kennedy Davenport, she's a master of bucking. That's what that is. I saw Arabia Night Adams doing her thing. She she was bucking the house down, turning the party. And then she started duck walking and she started giving a hand performance. And I remember everybody in that room losing their shit. Because it was like you just didn't see drag queens vogue. Which is so crazy to think about now that it was so separate and so, so far apart from each other that you us just see it's not like she was out here doing dips and death drops and slamming and doing all of that doing the doing the intense dips it was like she just did a light pussy cunt soft and cunt duck walk and she was giving a nasty piece of hand performance and the people went wild so when i saw shangela do that on the show it reminded me of that moment and i was like wait Oh, that's what's happening in drag. Okay, that's hot. So that's one of those moments where it was like, oh, I'm starting to see the worlds collide in a real way and not just something that's used as a gimmick. Doing a dip is Shangela's thing. She still does it to, to this day. Fat suit and all. So 
seeing how much Drag Race has blended ballroom terminology with drag presentation, it takes it, it, it delivers an amount of nostalgia for me because it makes me think about Dorian Corey and how she's just sitting in her apartment getting ready painting being luxurious and glamorous and she's explaining all the terms of ballroom culture and she's explaining all of these things like shade and reading and you know how things came to be and hearing drag race blend the terminology of ballroom culture with drag presentation, it gives me nostalgia, but it also makes me think of how far we've come for it to get so separate and then how far we've come for it to re-emerge and reintegrate itself back together. I think that that's something that's really important and it's really interesting to me. And I really appreciated that a lot, seeing Shangela do that. Um, Okay, so with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and finish up my standout moments of RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm going to talk about season eight and we're really going to dive into Bob. And then I am going to talk about how I chose a bunch of the recent African-American winners of the show and I didn't watch one clip of the season. And then later on, we're going to talk about my own history with drag, why I stopped, when I auditioned for for Drag Race, why I'm coming out of retirement, and, you know, some more things of the things. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, let's get back into it. We are back from our break. We are going to jump right back in and we're going to talk about season eight. The whole reason my drag career started. And the reason why I wanted to save it for this part of the episode is because I wanted to try to keep things as chronological as I possibly could when it comes to my own experience and the telling of this episode, right? Like I told you, I don't write scripts. I don't write out exactly what I'm going to say. I just kind of put bullet points of points that I want to cover and things that I want to talk about. And I will, you know, expand on those bullet points as I get to them, right? But I try to order it in a way that you get a full chronological story at the end. So, We're at that part of the story where I see myself as a drag queen for the first time, right? And this is a theme that's recurred very often through my life of representation really mattering. Do you get what I mean? Because I didn't have representation as a little intersex girl as I thought I was before I hit puberty and realized that I was just a woman trapped in a man's body or I didn't know what transgender meant. Like I didn't have that terminology until much later. I didn't have that terminology of what a trans woman was until I met Monique Chanel. Hard facts. I did not know what a trans woman was because if you remember yesterday, I spoke on 
maybe it wasn't yesterday, but on a previous episode of the podcast, I spoke on trans re- trans representation in the media and how on a lot of television shows, trans women were represented as drag queens or, you know, boys in wigs, boys in dresses. But, but at the end of the day, they were never truly represented as the women they were. They were always invalidated and their identity was always challenged. And, um... It was always reduced back to them being born male, right? So I've never had real positive representations of trans people growing up until I saw Monica Beverly Hills, who I loved on the season, come out as trans. And I was like, oh, there can be trans people who are like me, who aren't just, you know, prostitutes or people who trick people or people you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Or like people who get killed in the TV show. Like there's more than just those type of trans people. And that was exciting for me. Same thing with T.S. Madison, where I said I saw myself as somebody who was comfortable being a different type of trans woman, being a different type of trans woman than what was normally represented. Same thing with drag. I had been around drag since I was 14, 15, 16 years old and never saw a drag queen that represented me. I saw drag queens that I loved. I loved drag. I loved the style. I loved the makeup process. I loved the clothes and the bugle beads and the crystals and feathers and headpieces. But they don't do that anymore. Clock your references, children. Anyway, um... I love that style of drag. I love classic pageant drag, but that just wasn't my drag. Seeing Bob the Drag Queen come on and be irreverent and be not necessarily the most polished, but absolutely be the most talented, that was something that I absolutely related to on top of him being being unapologetically irreverent and unapologetically Black. And... I think what is the thing that magnetized me about Bob so much and the thing that really inspired me so much was that I got the sense from day one that Bob knew exactly who Bob was. And that was intimidating for me because I have not had a true sense of who I was for almost... 28 years of my 31 years of living, I just started figuring out who I was in the midst of my transition. I'm two years in going into my third year. Um, and I'm just now figuring out who I am. Now, mind you, I'm also 31 and you start to figure out who you are in your 30s. So back then I was 20 something, early, mid 20s when season eight happened and seeing somebody who was so sure of themselves so confident but not in a way that was condescending or pretentious or mean it was somebody who just knew exactly who they were they knew exactly what they contributed and they knew exactly what they wanted to get out of the space that they were in and I admired that so much on top of Bob being so astronomically fucking talented it's just like everything bob did was sickening from the purse dress with the curtains to everything even when bob looked a fucking mess like when bob was struggle scooting down that runway in them damn skates wearing that 25 dollar motherfucking um 
robot like uh robot jumpsuit from Amazon and that white wig with the yellow handband. Bob won the episode though. Bob looked a goddamn fucking mess and and won the episode. Work. That instilled something in me. That really instilled something in me. Because I throughout my life have had this thing where it's like you 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 have to be the perfect package walking in the door right you have to have it all together you have to be put together ready ready to go and this is crazy because i grew up in a time where artist development was mandatory right but in order to get discovered it was like you had to have a package that they could develop right like 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 there had to be an artist to develop so i think i've always spent my spent my life being as ready as I could for every opportunity and just not wanting to do it if I couldn't walk in and slay it from the very beginning. And Bob taught me that you don't have to be the perfect package to be the most qualified or the most competent person in the room. Do you get what I mean? Bob was not a great makeup artist season eight. Bob did not have all the best drag season eight. But you know what Bob did have is talent, confident, and confidence and charisma. Bob will charm the fuck out of you. Bob is funny. Bob is absolutely undeniably talented. And Bob knows that Bob is talented. And that was something that I aspired to. It's something that I still aspire to, to to this day. You know, I think about Bob all the time when I'm feeling insecure. I think about Bob's season. I think about season eight to the point of Bob's song for the lip sync that season back when they had the girls each do an individual performance i think they brought that back on one season now recently but i don't like to show off bob's lip sync song for the finale that is my theme song of life that is my theme song because the irony of the song is literally how i play my talent it's like I know that I'm talented 100%, but I'm not showing off in a way that's precocious. It's me telling you what I bring to the table. It's me stating my resume. It's me, you know, telling you what I can offer you and what I can do. It's me showing what I am. It just sounds like I'm bragging. It sounds like I'm showing off because me stating and saying all of that is telling you how extremely fucking talented I am and how the bomb and how the shit I really am. I don't like to show off. That's my shit. Do you hear me? There's a vlog on... Well, you probably can't hear the music anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I did a vlog on my old YouTube channel. I, I think it's Shantae Arnett, my my drag name when I retired. Um, I did a vlog on a show that I produced with my best friend, Alex, a.k.a. Luna Rosa, um, called Bathhouse. And that was the opener for the song. Anytime that I could choose the overture for a show that I was doing or a show that I was at, every single show that I produced had that song as the opener because it was just a perfect theme song. I felt like it was the perfect theme song for a, for a drag queen. It was the perfect theme song for me. And it just, it really encapsulated all of the reasons why Bob was such an inspiration for me. 
You know what I'm saying? Bob is my drag dad, and I don't give a damn if Bob ever acknowledges me, signs the papers, takes the DNA test. I don't give a fuck. Bob, you are my father, and it is what it is. And you're just going to have to deal with that. Okay? You're you're just going to have to deal with that. Bob is my dad. Just like I heard in an interview one time, Bob said that whenever Bob sees RuPaul, he just says, Dad! I think it was on Hey Queen, actually. I, I, I think it was on Bob's first episode of Hey Queen when he was wearing like the vinyl jumpsuit with with with, with the Bob wig and the blue necklace. And he was just like, I, I, I always just see RuPaul and I'm like, Dad, that's how I feel about Bob. It's like every time I see Bob, I'm like, Pops, what's up, Pops? Like, what's good? Like, what's up, Pop? I love you, man. I love you, dog. You, Bob, you the queen, Pop. Yeah. But yeah, like, I have this deep and passionate admiration for Bob. Bob is literally my drag idol, like, in real life. And I don't want it to come off, you know, single black trans female. But I... I really do like it. Like, if there was no Bob the Drag Queen, there would be no Melanin Monroe, who eventually became Cherie Laveau. Do you get what I mean? So, I just truly feel like... You know, I couldn't have a video about RuPaul's Drag Race or talking about RuPaul's Drag Race if I didn't give you guys the history of my connection to Bob the Drag Queen and subsequently all these other queens beforehand because, you know, I don't think about this all the time, but I didn't realize how many queens I've met throughout my life or like how connected Drag Race was to my life story like even down to you know casually knowing Stacey Lane Matthews when I was like 17 back in the day um and seeing her on Drag Race I rooted for her and seeing all the things that she's doing now and seeing her being so viral and being a meme and all of these type type of things like like now now I really don't bother to reach reach out because I'm sure she wouldn't remember some 17 year old kid who was the drag child of one of the people she actually knew. Do you get what I mean? I'm sure she's not going to remember me, but I just hold that love for her because she was such a nice person when I did meet her back in the day. And and every time I saw her before she got on Drag Race, she was always such a sweet person. She, She was always so nice. She was always such a nice person, so sweet. She was always really funny and warm and sweet. She was like an auntie. Like, Stacey Lane Matthews was really like an auntie to me back in the day. And because she was close with um, my with with my Sinclair family and, you know, she knew all all of the queens that I was around. And, you know, they were colleagues because they all went through the pageant circuit and did all of the things of the things. So I was just a fly on the wall. But she was always really nice to me and really sweet. Um, but I was a twink then. So so it was probably really easy to be nice to me. <laughs> but yeah bob is the reason why i even exist in a drag space and not even to the point of where like i want to do what bob does i'm completely intimidated of stand-up comedy i don't think i can actually sit and write jokes like people laugh at random shit that i say but that's not me telling jokes that's people just finding me funny you know and i am self-aware to recognize that there is a difference So I am completely intimidated to do stand-up comedy. Have I written 
material before? Do I have a do I have a five minute set that that I could put together if somebody told me to go up and do five minutes? Absolutely. Because I feel like stand-up comedy is just like a natural part of hosting in drag, which is a passion of mine. I love hosting a drag show. It like to the point of when I was doing drag before, I had a rate for me to just come and host. If you wanted me to just come and host your show, I don't even have to perform. I'll come and talk on the mic the whole night and I will party with your um with with your patrons. I'll party with them. I'll host the show. I'll be on the mic all night. I'll be like a hype woman for the entire club. And 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 you can just pay me for that. Cause I love doing it so much. Like I love hosting just as much as I love performing, which is why it was so easy for me to start a YouTube channel, to start a podcast, and then to do it all over again and start another YouTube youtube channel and then start another podcast the irony of that is not lost upon me if anybody is watching this from my youtube channel and finds it funny that i started another youtube channel and then eventually went and did a podcast it is funny and it's okay to laugh because i laugh at it myself when i started it i was like oh this is meta because I've talked about it before where it's like, yeah, I was doing a YouTube channel that was all about human rights and social awareness and explaining, you know, the nuances and plights of what it's like to be a black and or queer person while residing in America. And then I turned the whole um, concept of that YouTube channel into a podcast called eh, called eh, called Essays with Essay. And an essay was the initials of my last drag name, Shantae Arnett, which I changed because I was doing music at the time. I like, like I told you before, my first drag name was Melanie Monroe, right? Which I'll dive into when it comes to the history of drag that I'm about to get to in a few minutes. Um, my first drag name was was Melanie Monroe, and then I eventually changed it to Shantae Arnett because I started to pick up my pen again and write music and start making raps. And so I wanted to change my name to something that was more rap oriented and my and I wanted my drag name to really personify female rap because I was focusing my drag character in on really being a female rapper or a drag version of a real female rapper. So, you know, we'll get into the history of that in just a second, but um like I said, all in all, Bob is the reason why I started to do drag. Long story short, Bob is the reason why I started drag. Thank you. Let's go quickly to the winners that I chose from RuPaul's Drag Race without ever watching the season because I think that that connects me to the show in a way where it's like I not necessarily to the show but it connects me to drag and it lets me know that drag is a part of my DNA in a way that it's supposed to be there like I'm supposed to be doing it and I'm going to dive into that a little later dive into that a little later as well but I think that I have a certain intuition when it comes to drag and I have a certain instinct when it comes to drag that's allowed me to pick a lot of winners of the show whether I watched the season or not like I picked Bob as the winner I picked Evie as the winner um but those are seasons that I watched like 
like I said, I've all of the black winners I've picked. I'll say that. And I've picked a couple white winners like Jinx Monsoon. Um, like Sharon Needles. I knew Sharon was going to win the moment they walked in. The, 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 the uh, people love an underdog story. I knew Raja was going to win. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just them being that present and that overpowering in the competition or if I just have those instincts. But when we talk about the, the um, queens that I picked that I never watched their season, I think that plays into my theory. Queens like Jada Essence Hall. Queens like Simone. Queens like Shea Coulee winning All-Stars 5. I didn't watch that season until it was over. Well, about to be over. I didn't watch the, the um, season until the day before the finale aired. And I watched it with everybody. And I was like, Shay's going to win this comp- competition. And I, I didn't watch the whole season, but I knew Shay, Shay was going to win when they announced the cast. Same thing with Jada. I, I watched her meet the queens and I was like, that's my winner. I'm not going to watch this the um, season more, more than likely, but that's my winner. It was just something about her personality. And Jada in All-Star 7 her personality is even more infectious than it was on her original season, season 12. So I think that she was just destined to win this competition no matter what. Queens like Simone. Simone is special for me. I have a special connection to Simone. And I think just like Bob is the reason why I started drag, Simone is one of the reasons why I'm ready to come back to drag. Um, Simone is very special. Simone is one of my favorite drag queens. She's definitely in the top three of my favorite drag race queens ever. She's probably top two. Like, it's probably Bob the Drag Queen and then Simone and then whoever else is, 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 is on that list. Because I relate to Simone in a completely different type of way. Like, Simone to me represents the entirety of the 90s aesthetic and that is something that is my driggity driggity drag that is my drag I live for it and I feel like if I was still doing high femme drag I would be Simone like towards the middle of my drag career previously I was leaning into high femme drag really like trying to just look like a woman and with a really exaggerated body. Like, I wanted to look like an Instagram thought. Like, that was my aesthetic in drag, but 90s. Like, I wanted to look like a 90s girl with a 2010s body. It was very that. Like, that was my aesthetic in drag. When I first started, well, well, not when I first started drag, but, but when I got comfortable doing drag and I really started to learn my makeup. Because at first, I developed this, like, drag superhero kind of aesthetic and my um and like my um my inspirations were like Shigo and Android 18 and Rita Repulsa and like people like that like really exaggerated camp characters and stuff like that divine um by way of Ursula but then as I became comfortable I started you know, leaning into high femme drag and wanting to just look like a girl from the 90s who got her body done. 
Like, I really wanted to look like that. And that was my judge. And I think Simone represents all of that, but with the confidence of not padding, which I live for, which I have now, now that I've been on hormones for two years. But um, I appreciate all of what she brings to drag because she's like, a. to me, Simone represents like a reset in drag. To me, Simone truly represents represents like a reset in drag and it's like she is someone who represents the the representation that was RuPaul in the 90s and she's also like the representation of what the future is gonna be and that is special to me because she's like a hybrid of the past and the future Simone is everything for me truly truly everything for me um now that is the rest of my extensive history with with the show how the show kind of plays into all the things that I have going on blah 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 I am going to take another quick break and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk all about my history with drag I'm going to go through my whole timeline from when I started drag all of all the things of the things to when I retired and why I'm coming back. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, let's get to the smoke. The part you all have really wanted to hear yeah, right. I'm pretty sure y'all want to hear all my opinions on Drag Race more than you want to hear about my own history in drag. But let's get to it anyway. Um, I want to go from the beginning, talk about how I started all the way up into when I retired and why I'm coming back and blah, 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 blah. Right. So I started drag in 2017. It was around my birthday. Right. I was planning on starting like the weekend of my birthday or like right around my, 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 my birthday. But then I got into a car accident like in June or July of that year, right before my birthday. And it was like a really scary experience. It was the worst car accident I've ever been in. And it really like scared the shit out of me. So I was like, I'm just going to do it while I'm here. Like I'm like, I've put it off long enough. I've thought about it. I've been scared to do it for all these years. What am what, well, what do I have to lose besides my life, right? So I just decided to just go ahead, throw caution to, to the wind and do it and say, shit, I might not have been here for my birthday. So I may as well just go ahead and do it while I can do it. So I ordered a Ben Nye makeup kit from the internet because that's what Bob the Drag Queen did. I did everything Bob the Drag Queen said to do, basically. I went and ordered, you know... A Ben Nye makeup kit. I I got um, you know, my first pair of heels. I, I I got a pair of pumps and I got a pair of these lace up vinyl looking boots. And I bought clothes. I bought a jumpsuit. I bought just you know random stuff. I bought a couple wigs. In fact, I bought one wig, one wig, because I was also. You know, I had this kind of planned in my mind. I, I I have been watching all 
all the tutorials, all the wrong tutorials. Because all the drag queens, when they start out, they watch Miss Fame like, like an idiot. Because if you don't have Miss Fame's facial facial features or like her bone structure, or if you don't look anything like Miss Fame, or if that's not your aesthetic, don't paint like her, right? Because, or if you don't know yet how to make her makeup style work for you and for your face and make her technique fit your face, you're not going to look good. But I don't know any goddamn better. So I'm just going with whose makeup is sickening at the time. And Shea Coulee hadn't necessarily come on the show yet. She was coming on as I was figuring it out. So then once Shea came on, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Hell with Miss Fame. Not hell with Miss Fame, but that was the makeup I wanted to do, right? So then it leaned into this whole like female superhero android type of aesthetic like i i wanted to be a a combination of like android 18 and shego from kim possible because i just always thought that shego was such a bad bitch and i was like if i could be any cartoon i would be shego she was so sickening i wish she would have gotten a spinoff i'm still rooting for that but that was my aesthetic when I first started drag, right? I first started drag as somebody who wanted to do a superhero because I love Shea Coulee's eye. It gave me like this fantasy. And then I said, well, if it looks bad, then I can just say that I'm not trying to be femme. I'm trying to be a superhero. So I'm painting the mask onto my face, right? It's funny how that idealism has come back around in my new character and my new aesthetic in drag, but we'll get to that in a second. So I, so I started learning how to paint or at least get get down a makeup style that was good enough to get me on stage, right? I still didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing for another year after I started. I didn't start becoming decent in makeup until a year after I was doing drag. And then I didn't become good in makeup until I was two years in. Just saying. Um... I started at the local bar in my town. Um, I'm not sure if I want to reveal the name of it yet because I don't know if I want people to be able to find me. (laughs) If I no longer lived in that town and like there was no way for people to be able to find me, I would tell you. But especially because once I go back to drag and I start performing again, I'm going to be performing in that venue which is so funny once you learn the rest of the story, but we'll get to that. Um, So I don't know if I just want random people coming and finding me, especially as I'm getting the act together and I'm really figuring it out and I'm testing it out. Do do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like how stand-up comedians don't necessarily tell every little stand-up gig they they, um, do, especially when they're testing new material. It's like that. But I started at a local drag bar in my my um, town, you know, I figured a lot of things out. I figured that that I should wear a bra on top of my mastectomy bra form that that I bought to 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 to, to give myself boobs in drag. If you want to see all the mistakes that I made in my early career in drag, there's all of my old drag videos are on my old YouTube channel. I believe it's Shantae Arnett, um, and the reason why. Well, 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 we'll get to that once I get to my name and stuff like that. My original, my very first, 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 first drag name was Jody Mae Jones. Right? 
And I'll tell you why. Because some of you are probably listening to that thinking, why the fuck would you choose that name? Well, listen, I'm all about a person who is about fully realizing their aesthetics, right? If you listen to my drag name now, it's Cherie Laveau, right? What does that sound like? Marie Laveau, right? It gives you a clear indication of what my aesthetic is probably going to look like. Anyway, so... Jody Mae Jones, somebody told me as I was getting ready to start doing drag and like start to go and start performing, I was practicing makeup at home and really kind of figuring out how to walk in heels again and do all of this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. So I was getting ready and I was showing people my makeup and I was figuring out how to do it and this and the third. And somebody told me that I looked like Jody Watley in drag, right? They, they, they told me that the makeup that I was doing at the time, I looked like Jody Watley. And I looked up jo- Jody Watley and I was like, I'm not offended by that. Jo- Jody Watley is gorgeous and I do kind of have her bone structure. So I said, I'm going to be Jody, right? And then I thought it was funny because of the play on words, Jody, Jody Watley and then Jody from Baby Boy. So, so I thought the irony was funny. That, that there's a drag element, you know, funny, play on words. And then the May part, was Eartha Kitt's middle name, right? So I always love to make make the girls think. Plus, I'm a Southern Black woman. And so all the Southern Black women... And for some reason, I love to play older in drag. Like, like I love my drag characters to be older than I am because I feel like I am somebody who never actually fit into my generation. I feel like I was born a generation too late. And so had I been born in the previous generation, I feel like I would have lived the life that I was supposed to live and like manifested all the, all of the things that I was supposed to have in my career or well, 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 not my career in my life. Right. But that's just a theory that I have when I can't sleep and I'm suffering from insomnia, but I always play older in drag. All of my drag char- characters have been older. So the May part made sense because I was like, I'm a 20 something year old who's playing like a 40 something year old. Right. But I'm just like a hot 40 year old. So May was Eartha Kitt's last name. And then the Jones was because my fashion aesthetic, I really wanted to be reflective of Grace Jones. Right. Once I had the coin to actually go buy drag. Now, 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 if you go back and look at my earlier videos in drag, you won't see Grace Jones because I didn't have the money to look like Grace Jones. I didn't have the resources and I just kind of made whatever I had kind of work for me and just build whatever I thought was cool and just figure it out. I was I was just figuring it out. Okay. So that's how Jody Mae Jones came to be. Jody Mae Jones did not last long. Okay, I did a couple performances under the name Jody Mae Jones, and then eventually, I transitioned into the name Melanin Monroe. Okay, that that's what I call my official first drag name, and the reason why is because that's the drag name that I had the longest. That's the drag name that I had, you know, started building success off of. That's the name that I started getting recognized for. It was Melanin Monroe, right? And so that and it was one of the drag like that was the first drag name that I came up with that I just was like, oh, bitch, you killed that. Oh, bitch, you killed that. You killed that. Melanin Monroe is sickening. Black Melanin Monroe. People get it. Easy. Bow. Instantly recognizable. 
that's something that I've connected to my creating of drag names in the future, a la Cherie Laveau. Now, um, so, you know, I figured it out. I got my name name together. Let's talk about my first performance because I'm really doing like a hyper um, condensed version because you really don't want to go through all of the details of my drag career and talk about all of the other stuff. But, you know, if you want to, you could ask me for an interview and then I can tell you all all the details you want. But but for this podcast, we're going to do the par- paraphrase shorthand version. So my first performance was August something. It was around my um, birthday, but it wasn't like as close to my birthday as I wanted it, right? The first three songs that I ever performed in drag, I performed at a talent night where you had to come and bring three three performances. And if you did well or, or if you won talent night, then you got booked for the Saturday night the next day and you actually got paid, right? So I won talent night for a really long time while I was there. I was coming, I was doing talent night, doing talent night, and I was always getting booked for the Saturday shows, right? So people thought that I was on the cast for a while and then I eventually was on the cast. But we'll go back. The first three songs that I performed in drag was Robin S, Show Me Love. It was... um, uh, Cece Penniston finally was the third song and then i can't remember what the second song was i genuinely can't remember what the second song was but i know that two of the first songs that i performed was um robin s show me love and then C- and then cc penniston finally because i wanted to like really lean into the 90s girls who like i wanted to do the drag music that i grew up listening to right so, so I wanted to do the hits. I wanted to do Show Me Love. I wanted to do Finally. I wanted to do all the 90s songs that I love, like like Adina Howard, Freak Like Me, and the Brandies, and the, all of that, right? Like, I wanted to be that girl that did the 90s R&B records of all the fly girls and all that shit. So I started winning Talent Nights, came back, did the bookings, killed it, killed it, killed it, killed it, killed it. Eventually, I met my best friend. This was probably like... A few weeks after I started drag, because we met in September, I started drag in August, right? So I met my best friend, Alex, um, drag name Luna Rosa. Um, they were coming back to drag. They had had, a, they had had a previous run in drag and then had came back. And then he was starting to, to do drag again right after I had just started. And we just kind of connected instantly, Right. I remember how we met. I was getting ready at my station that I always got ready at. And Alex came in. He was, ah, I just thought that he was coming to do the talent night. Didn't know that he had ever been there before, blah, blah, blah. I didn't really, you know, I'm pretty antisocial and I'm pretty shy and slightly agoraphobic when it comes to, to comes to social settings. So I'm never one to um, start to start a conversation, but I will engage. Right. So Alex saw that I was up there by myself because my husband was downstairs. Right. So I was upstairs um, getting ready, getting engaged, you know, putting on my makeup, doing the thing. And Alex walks over and was like, hey, if you're, you know, by yourself, you can always come sit with me and my me and my boyfriend. We're um, 
here together or whatever. So if, so if you're by yourself, you don't have to be alone. And I was like, that's really freaking sweet, bro. Like, you didn't have to do that. That, that That's really nice. Um, tell your boyfriend to go sit with my husband because he's actually downstairs. So um, his boyfriend at the time and my husband, they sat next to each other. They were chopping it up and getting to know each other. And then we were upstairs kikiing and we just instantly clicked instantly became best friends like we were instantly best friends like it's crazy how fast me and Alex bonded and how close we got and so um each Friday and Saturday it was me and Alex along with the cast of the show all all of the girls Vivica Dior Jade Fox and uh, 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 Anastasia Lee Valentine all of those girls, shout out to y'all. If you're listening to this, if you know those girls, send them a, send them some love and send them a tip. Um, those were the girls that we started with, but me and Alex were the new girls, right? Like, 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 like we were the new girls. We were the young ones. The entire cast had been there for a while. They all had a rapport. They all knew each other. They, they weren't, you know, like mean to us. They embraced us, but they were already an established group and we kind of latched on to each other. So we were there for months and months and months. And then eventually Queen started leaving for for whatever reason. Cast spots became open. Me and Alex joined the cast because for a while, the talent nights pretty much went like this. It was me, Alex, and whoever else showed up for the talent night. I would always win. Alex would always be my runner up. And then the then the other person would have just made some good tips that night, right? So me and Alex were always coming in, killing talent night, and then being booked for the Saturday show. So people really got familiar with us because we were there all the time. Like, we were there just as much as as the cast because there was only two shows a week. It was the Friday show, which, which, which was talent night, and a show with the cast. And then Saturday was the cast show featuring the winners of talent night. And so we started building a name for ourselves. And eventually we, we kind of created our own house called the House of Menthol, right? And it kind of came together as a joke that we started putting on social media. Oh, House of Menthol, House of Menthol. And people really started recognizing us as the House of Menthol. Like we, like, like, like we were actually joking at first because one, we both smoke cigarettes, Right. We both smoked menthol cigarettes. We love irony and we both love wordplay. Like Alex and I, like Alex and I both just found it so funny of like wordplay and like um, being the house of menthol was always so funny to us because we always capitalized the word men in menthol and like our slogan was we was we put the men in menthol, right? This this was before my transition. So it started as a joke and like we would always hashtag our post house of menthol house of menthol until we started getting like booked in other places and people started booking us as the house of menthol because they saw us on social media whenever you saw one of us you you would see the other one and and vice versa we were always together we were each other's best friend and we were each other's ride or die drag partner like we were our own drag duo do you know what I mean? We were our own Trixie and Katya. We were our own um, Bob and Monet. We were our own 
Delta and Raja. We were our own Violet and Got Mick. We were our own um, Heidi and um, Jada and Heidi. Um, Hall and Closet. Like, we were our own drag duo. And so, you know, they started booking us as the House of Menthol. And then we just made it a real house. Because we were like, well, we may as well embrace it if people are starting to recognize us as as the House of Menthol, right? So eventually, some things went down at our home bar. And we eventually ended up leaving. Um, and full disclosure on that, I ended up leaving. And Alex was loyal enough to leave with me. I didn't ask him to, but he was fully aware and fully present for all the things that were going on. And he was fully aware of why I was quitting and leaving. And Alex believed in me enough and cared enough about me to be loyal enough to leave with me, right? So we struck out and we ventured out on our own. This was... 2018 2019 because i know i started in 2017 so all of that happened within a few months like we started in like august and we met in september and then by april of 2019 or 2018 i think we struck out on our own it might have been 2019 i'm not sure but i don't know if we were there for a full year before we struck out on our own i really don't know but I would have to go back and check the dates of like all of our old flyers and like all of our old posters and stuff for when we would make promos for when we would be booked together places and things. Because we started like when we quit our home bar, we just struck out with no relationships. We had no connections. We had done a couple bookings outside of the show, but we really didn't know anybody. So we just really hit social media and just started reaching out to, to um, show directors, reaching out to drag queens that we followed on social media that were in the area and just started making connections and really started reaching out and developing personal relationships with people. And that's how we started getting booked. So we started getting booked. Our first booking together was a birthday party at another bar in our area. It's not, it, it's, it's not, it's not a drag bar. It's more of like a cabaret spot or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they have drag there. It's a really cool place. Um, we started performing there a lot as the House of Menthol. And um, our first performance was somebody's birthday party there. And then we did a Pride, which you can find that performance on my YouTube channel. I'm so proud of that now. It's in, if you go to my playlist, Joka. J-O-C-A, short for Georgia, Carolina. Um, go to that playlist and scroll all the way down. You'll find some of my favorite earlier drag performances My way back in the day. I pinned my... Well, I put my, 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 my favorites from my drag performances from that channel into that playlist. So if you want to go see some of my um, earlier drag performances that I actually like and that I wouldn't cringe if you watched, go look at that playlist in my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina. Go to the Joker playlist and then you'll be able to see some of my old performances, including this one. I did Ashley Simpson. Um, the song was all, was all, was autobiography. Um... Ashley Simpson's album of the same name is still one of my favorite albums of all time. I still listen to it all the time. That song is still is still one of my my favorites. And 
that was the time where we really started developing some long-lasting relationships in drag. We met Tara Card, we met Zanny X, we met so many people. Shout out to y'all, love y'all down. Um, oh, by the way, speaking of Tara Card, which great drag name, right? Um, Tara Card has a podcast that I just discovered. It is a horror podcast. I was just listening to it last night, actually. Let me pull it up. Because I thought it was so sickening. She has a podcast on the horror genre, which I freaking love. And I think it's amazing. It's called Stay on the Line with Tara Card. Well, it's not with Tara Card, but it's called Stay on the Line. And that's the name of the podcast. And she just talks about horror movies and talks about the horror genre and all of that. And I was just listening to the episode with Zanny X. And I think it's really funny. Um, Shout out to Zanny, too, who's killing it in drag right now. Freaking amazing. Um... But so after that, we just started, you know, doing a lot, doing a lot of bookings, really promoting ourselves, really pushing. And it got to a point where we were booked so often that we kind of promoted all the bookings that we had coming up as like a House of Menthol mini tour, which we called the Menthol Shorts Tour. Like, can I get a pack of Menthol Shorts, like Menthol Short Cigarettes, right? So we... So we called it the Menthol Shorts Tour because it was a mini tour of like two months worth of dates, right? So it was like we were booked every weekend for like two months straight. And so we just called it a mini tour. And it was like a little, like our mini summer tour. And we called it the Menthol Shorts Tour. And that was when we really started getting a lot a lot of attention because of the way that we would promote ourselves. Like we would create our own flyers for the, for the shows that we were on. We would create like calendars to like show our upcoming events. And like we really kind of leaned into this menthol type of aesthetic where like all of our posters were like boxes of cigarettes with our... Um, with our menthol logo on it and like we would like just put the tag on like a box of like new um new ports or lms and we would oh that's part of the reason why we went with house of menthol too is because i personally smoke lm cigarettes lm menthol shorts specifically is what i smoke right and so we thought it was so funny once again we we love the wordplay because Luna's drag name is Luna. At well, Alex Alex's drag name was was Luna, and my drag name was Melanin. So we used to call ourselves L and M of the House of Menthol, right? So we love to play on words. We love a good title. We love really like drag and cheeky type of stuff like that, right? And so we would um, do all of our promos with L and M. Um, cigarettes as the backdrop of all of our promos and then we we would put the House of Menthol logo that I created on it and like have our dates and all of that stuff and people really started paying attention to our um, promo and like how we promoted ourselves and how we got ourselves out there because there wasn't a lot of drag queens who were brand new who were booking like that who were just who like had a full-blown aesthetic had a house had a duo they were out doing this there was a couple of people who were doing it but it wasn't as prominent and it wasn't two people who were so completely different because as drag queens people would not understand how we even got along or how we knew each other or or, or like how we would fit but that's how stereotypes and microaggressions get you fucked up 
okay? Um, because we were so completely different, but we were the exact same person. Like, we were so completely we were so completely different in our interest and like the things that we liked and that we were interested in. But as people, as entities, as energies, we were the exact same person. We thought the same. We, 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 we rationed the same. We had the same philosophies about life. We had the same philosophies about drag. Even though we had different goals, we both knew that it was something that we wanted to do as a career and create our own lane and do something different in drag. Do you get what I mean? So we just aligned in that way, even though our ways of approaching it were completely different. So we started getting a lot of attention and we started doing things that people were telling us like we wouldn't be able to do because we were new drag queens. Once again, queens who hadn't gone through the pageantry system. We live in the South and the pageantry system is still really heavy, especially back in this time. This was 2017, 2018. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of people who were making names for themselves, booking just a book, like just booking. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people were still getting their names out there through being pageant girls. And we just never wanted to do that. We were never pageant girls. Like we just didn't understand that. So we were doing shows like booking at clubs that only booked pageant girls and only booked RuPaul's Drag Race girls. And I ended up getting booked there Luna ended up getting booked there and then I ended up getting booked there as a host and and I basically had like a hosting residency there where I was there like all the time this is what I was talking about when I said that I used to host shows that the drag race girls would like come and perform at and like I would like get to know them and like um you know try to relate to them in a way and it kind of turned me off from auditioning from the show this is what I was talking about So, um, I wish I could put this, like, this is the part of podcasting that I hate that's not visual because I would put up, like, my um, pictures with Vanjie and my pictures with, um, Ariel Versace and Silky Nutmeg Ganache and, um, Jiggly Caliente and Raja O'Hara, of, uh, uh, of course, but... Those were just some of the girls that I worked with. Had a great time. They were all amazing. But yeah, we were doing like amazing things. Like Luna was getting booked in different states. Luna was getting booked in Colorado. Like I was getting booked in like New Orleans and Mississippi and Georgia. And like we were getting booked all over the place because we lived in Alabama. And then we started booking like in Mississippi and, um, and Georgia and Florida. So we were like all over the place. And then there was a point where one of the biggest points in our career and like one of my most memorable, fondest memories of our time together as drag performers was when we headlined the first Pride at Troy University. Alex got us this gig. Alex knows people. uh, Alex knows people that knows people that knows people who knew people. So Alex ended up getting us this gig and and we were headlining the show and then well we were headlining the 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 day pride show and then we got asked to host the after party at the club at the bar after that right and so that was major for us like that was a big thing because the year before we had you know done our first pride in 
um, Pensacola, Florida. It was so much fun, but, but like we were brand new queens, brand spanking new, right? And so a year later, we were doing Pride in our own state. It was Troy's inaugural Pride. It was their first Pride. We were the headliners. It was huge. It was so successful. And it was one of the best days, if not the best day I've ever had in drag. I have to say that it was the best day that I've ever had in drag because, and mind you, I don't know anybody who is happy to say that they spent 14 hours in drag, but that day I was so happy to spend 14 hours in drag. I had the best time ever. It was so much fun. Um, Me and Alex created so many memories, made so many new friends, and that after party was so lit. It was the most fun experience I've ever had in a club because it was our show and we killed it and the crowd was amazing. All the people who showed up, it was so much fun. If anybody listening to this podcast was at the Double Branch that night, um, please comment on this podcast and tell me how much fun you you had that night with the house of menthol because we had such a good time anyway in in um troy alabama shout out to the double branch and shout out to everybody who was there shout out to troy university all the things of the things right so um after that you know things kept going on things kept going on blah 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 blah, blah. life is happening life Life is happening throughout this time. I start my YouTube channel, my my first you, 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 YouTube channel, which led to my first podcast. And this is a point where I had changed my name to Shantae Arnett because I was focusing more on a rap aesthetic. And I was focusing on transitioning more from just a really bomb drag queen to a drag queen that was a female rapper. And I was starting to rap in drag. And I was starting to to, to perform freestyles that I had performed in drag. And I was making videos of me rapping in Walmart at three o'clock in the morning in full drag and doing all of those things. Like, like I was really transitioning my aesthetic into, you know, a drag queen that's a female rapper, right? And so I changed my name to Shantae Arnett, which Shantae is DeBrat's first name, who is one of my favorite rappers of all time and one of my favorite female rappers of all time, top five, probably top three, and not top five, definitely. And then um, the Arnett is Missy Elliott's middle name, right? You know, I love details now. This is just showing you how creative I get when it comes to my craft and my aesthetic and the things that I'm doing, right? So I renamed my myself Shantae Arnett. For some reason, I was not scared to just compromise all the all the legacy and all the uh all the momentum that I had built with my name Melanie Monroe. I was like, well, it's time to change it up because I'm reinventing my my myself. But for some reason I couldn't just reinvent myself with with the same name. I had to fully reinvent. So Melanie Monroe eventually became Shantae Arnett. And so we were doing all the things of things. I was starting the YouTube channel. I was rapping in drag on my YouTube channel. I was writing freestyles to different people's songs and beats. And I was recording them in drag and posting them to my YouTube channel and to my Instagram and stuff. If you go to that page, Shantae Arnett, you can find a, a whole playlist of me rapping in drag. Um, 
You'll find my versus Dragiana to the Tatiana beat. I did one to Missy Elliott song. I did just a bunch of them. Um, I did one to the City Girls Act Up that was out at the time. Like I did a whole bunch of them. Go, I'll um, link that playlist in the um, in the episode. Let me make a flag of that now. I'm going to add that to the episode. Add the list of me rapping in drag to the episode as well and y'all can get a piece of that so so like y'all can know that i really rap rap but also you can just look me up jordan renee which, which is my actual name and you can go find my mixtape on all streaming services look up jordan renee iou and you'll find it um that came out 2021 but we'll get to that in a second so we're doing all the drags we're doing all the things blah 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 like life is happening and then in 2019 we produced our first show as the house of menthol mind you during that time i also produced a tribute show to the show pose pose was out at the time and i um collaborated with a club called splash bar florida that's where i was doing basically the hosting residency they were hiring me to 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 come and host all of the drag race girls blah 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 and that's where i met all the girls and had all the fun shout out to splash bar florida and Tony and the whole team over there. But, um, so I was producing a show there called, um, Pose, or I forgot what, what the name of the show was, but, um, what the name of the actual drag show was that, that I was producing. But, um, it was wrapped around the idea of Pose and me combining drag with ballroom elements, right? And so that was a show that I was producing by myself. Alex was getting booked state to state in Colorado and doing all of these other things. And life was happening. We were doing good. I was making music. You know, Alex was transitioning. Um, He was a trans man. So he had just gotten his name changed and things were going well. And then we produced this show, Bathhouse, which, which was a local show because there wasn't a local drag show for alternative drag in our area right we had a couple um bars that did drag shows but it was like pretty stereotypical normal drag or whatever um what you think of when you think think about drag and we wanted to do something specifically for alternative drag because i started leaning into doing alternative drag gender fluid drag um and really just kind of bending my expression into kind of what it is now but a more feminine version of what it is now or a specifically gendered version of what it is now and so then that was when I was doing more like gender fluid um drag and like I I was coming out of that specifically gendered expression and kind of leaning into this gender fluid drag and it was just so much fun so we created this show bathhouse um bath spelled b-a-t-h and then house spelling house spelled h-a-u-s right bathhouse by house of menthol and we created this show it went off without a hitch it was amazing and then 2020 comes and we produce our second show in february that was when i did the vlog all about creating bathhouse and that's what kind of gave me the idea to do vlogs about my return to drag on my current youtube channel because i had so much fun doing that vlog if you go and look at my um old channel shantae arnett you'll see the vlog tales from the bathhouse i'll link it in the episode let me make a flag hold on
Sorry about that. I accidentally ended the whole segment, but I made a flag to add the playlist to the vlog Tales from the Bathhouse in this episode too. It really is going to be a lot of links in this episode because I had so much fun doing that vlog. It was me pre-transition. Um, so you'll see me in a completely different light. You'll see me with facial hair and all, child. Um, trying to give trade. Anyway, so we do the vlog bathhouse 2 goes off with with without a hitch it was so much fun we killed it it was awesome it was more people there than was there the first time we sold it out it was amazing right and then covid happens right this was 2020 and our last bathhouse was in february And so things are going on. We're, you know, gearing up to start getting ready for Pride. We're taking, you know, meetings for bookings. We're going into a meeting with Troy University for our next Pride with them. And they wanted to bring us back and do it all over again. And we were, you know, figuring out what we were doing for Pride and starting to set up our schedule and start filling up the calendar. And we were taking bookings and doing all of that. And then COVID happens. And when I say COVID happens, COVID happened. And it hit harder than I think either one of us ever thought that it was going to affect us, right? And I'm not talking about the actual COVID. I'm just talking about the effects and how we ended up interpreting that and how it ended up manifesting itself in our lives. COVID really affected the both of us mentally very hard. Now, mind you, one thing I didn't say about our friendship that also connected us is we both suffer from depression. And so drag was not only a hobby and an art form and a passion for for us, it was also a coping mechanism. And expression was a way for us to cope with the things that we were dealing with mentally. And that's why we both put a lot of social messages into our drag because drag wasn't just fun for us, it was expressionism. And that's another thing that bonded us was, you know, activism through expressionism. And that was one thing that the House of Menthol was built on. So COVID happens. It affects us, you know, really bad. Um, we're, 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 We're going through it. Alex really is mentally suffering. There's a lot of things that's going on in his life that I won't talk about. It's his business. Um... And then we get to April 2020. You know, this is April 2020. The world just really shut down. Like it shut down in March, April. But like the world is at the beginning of the shutdown. Everything is just popping off. Everything is just happening. And Alex is really suffering. And basically, I say all of that to say... I lose my best friend to suicide because of COVID, because of mental health, because of personal things going on. Mind you, he didn't die because he had COVID. He never contracted COVID, but just the effects of what COVID did, the shutdown, the lockdown, the quarantine, all of the stuff. And in the middle of, you know, preparing for a lot of different things that were coming up and to have our whole lives kind of turned upside down and have all of these things snatched away from us. It kind of, you know, hit harder than I think either one of us ever expected. But I lost my best friend to suicide. And after that, 
I really thought I would never do drag again. Everything that I was planning on doing, I just stopped. You know, when Alex died, I was working on a video for a digital drag show for Tara Card, actually. Um, shout out to, 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 to Tara Card again. Make sure you go subscribe to their podcast, Stay on the Line. Um, I was actually about to film a video for um, Tara Card's digital drag show. And I remember the last text message I sent to Alex before I knew that he was gone. I sent him a voicemail or a voice note in my iMessage. I I messaged him a voicemail and I was like, hey, Tara just booked me for this drag show and I figured out exactly what I want to do. And you remember last week when I was saying how, you know, since we're going to be you know, in the house and chilling and not really out like that and going and doing stuff, you know, I'm going to need you to help me film stuff. And, you know, because he had offered, he was like, well, I'm going to be, because I was talking to him about all of the projects that I had coming up, stuff I was doing, people were asking me to do their digital drag shows. And I was, you know, doing music and I was figuring out all of this different type of stuff. And I was trying to figure out a music video and I was trying to do all of these different different projects and Alex volunteered to come and help me film as a way to get out of the house and be around me so we could have each other through COVID. So I was calling back to that and I was like, yeah, you know how you um, said you would help me film or whatever. I've got the perfect project to start because I'm doing this digital drag show for tarot card and I know exactly what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. I never got a response, which is uncharacteristic. Alex usually usually responds to me you know, pretty quickly. And it wasn't late at night. So I figured, you know, he wasn't asleep. That was weird. So I figured maybe him and his boyfriend were just on a date or something, or they were, you know, cuddled up or fucking or something. And they were just, you know, busy. So I didn't pay it no mind. And the next day I take my husband back to work. He's a truck driver and I drive him to, um, take him back to his truck so he can get back on the road. And I'm driving home and I get a call from Alex's boyfriend and he let and he tells me the news, right? My entire world shuts down. My entire world shuts down because you you, you got to realize Alex was more than just the person that I did drag with. He was more than just my business partner. He was more than just my best friend. Alex was my platonic soulmate. Alex was my twin flame. I truly believe that because twin flames can be platonic. They, they don't just have to be romantic. And so it was a situation where I felt like half of me died when I lost him. And I just, I just, drag was not something I could do. I never thought I'd be able to put on makeup again. I never wanted to get in drag without him because I was so used to having Alex by my side. Like all of my drag was at his house. Like he had a drag room at his house and it was our drag room. Like it was the house of menthol drag room. We had stations, we had decorated the drag room. Like it was all a thing. Like we really were a family. Like that was really my brother. That was really my sister. That that was really my housewife. Like that was really like my friend. Like that was really my everything, right? That was another part of me. And to lose him, 
I still like it's still hard every day. Like I still have a hard time talking about it. You know, I just am able to talk about it now. And it's been two years and I'm just able to talk about it now. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I say all of that to say when Alex died, I instantly retired. I didn't announce that I retired. I didn't say anything. I let all the people know who I had gigs with that I wasn't going to be able to do them. And they, you know, respectfully, they they understood because, you know, they knew me and and subsequently through me, they knew Alex. Right. So. It just. My life shut down for two years, basically my life shut down for a year really um and so I just stepped out of drag I stepped out of that and I was at the beginning of when Alex died you know Alex had just gotten his name legally changed he just gotten it approved he had just gotten his new license and everything was changed and things were looking up things were so good and then COVID happened I had finally decided to transition and my husband supported me and we were in happy relationships and things just felt so good. And then it was over, you know, going through these past two years of my transition without Alex is just, it felt, it feels like there's just a void missing It feels like I'm missing something when it comes to my transition. Every day, I feel like a piece of me is missing. And because of that, drag was not a part of my life. Drag was not a thought. Drag was not something that I had any interest in because I just didn't have Alex. All I wanted was my friend back. All I want is my friend back to this day. Every second, I want my friend back. You know what I mean? Um, I've never been affected like that in my life I've experienced death before but it's never affected me like that you know what I mean um with the exception of one other person in my life but even then it didn't shut me down like that like I've experienced hurt and grief before you know I lost a partner a long time ago but that's a but that's another story and I grieved him And, you know, that hurt. And that's the closest thing that I've ever felt to this. But even that doesn't compare at all to the pain that I feel every day from losing my best friend. But as time has gone on and I have learned to live with grief. I can't say that I've healed. That would feel like a lie. But I've learned to live with grief and learn to grieve actively and, you know, live while I grieve and not let my entire life shut down. Because I didn't get out of bed for a month and a half, two months, maybe even longer than that. I've told you guys I have no concept of space and time. So I could be saying it was two weeks and it was actually three months that's very realistic. Like I'm not even exaggerating. It really could be a situation like that. And so after the blackout is what I like to call it. Cause I literally just blacked out. I didn't get out of bed. I didn't leave. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't leave the house. I didn't talk to anyone. I shut down. But after a while I started coming out of that fog 
and I started to live life again. And I started to exist in the world again. And I started to feel again. And eventually, I say all of that to say I'm just jumping to the present day. You know, it led me to want to create again. It led me to want to be active again. It led me to have something to say again, you know. And it led me to realize that Alex wouldn't want me to just stop. He wouldn't want me to just quit. He he wouldn't want me to just give up on my dreams. He wouldn't want me to just end everything and just, you know stop doing what I'm doing just because he's not around. He would want me to go out and get it. He would want me to go out and do it. Because the reason why I know that is for two reasons. One, because I would want him to do the same thing if he was in my position. I would want him to go out and do it. I would want him to go out and carry on the legacy and carry on our name and carry on and, you know, be your greatest self and take my spirit with you. I would want him to do that. And we were the same person, so I know he would want the same for me. But also, I know that for two reasons. And that's because there have been times when Alex was still alive where people have... Sorry, we had some technical difficulties. I had an alarm go off and it cut the recording. Um, so there was a time in Alex and I's drag career where people were starting to want to book us separately for things, right? We had kind of built our names up as being a duo and being the House of Menthol and being this dynamic duo where when you saw one, you saw the other. And people, you know, really liked the idea of booking us together a lot. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that was, but people were into it and they loved booking us as a duo. And so there came a time where we had been booked so much and people had seen us around so much that now people were looking at our individual talents as well and booking us for different shows that maybe the other person wouldn't necessarily fit within. Like, for example, um, Alex couldn't do an all black drag show. Get what I mean? There was a time where I was really starting to get booked for a lot of all black drag shows because people were seeing me at all the different types of gigs because as the House of Menthol, people would book us both for anything and they would have, you know, one that maybe represented the theme and then, you know, one who could fit it and then the other vice versa, right? So like, they wouldn't book Alex for an all black drag show Alex was German white sorry I don't know if I mentioned that or I just expected y'all to know that but anyway um and then there were like alternative drag shows that I wouldn't get booked for because at the time I wasn't really doing as much alternative drag or people didn't recognize me yet for doing alternative drag people only remembered me doing this high femme 90 supermodel drag right And I was just starting to get into my alt drag bag and I was figuring it out and I wasn't really um, known or recognized yet as somebody who could do alt drag. And then there were certain shows like horror drag shows and like the Dragula type drag shows that I wouldn't have been a good fit for, right? 
my alternative drag wasn't Dragula drag. And Alex could do all of that type of stuff. I just wasn't that girl, but Alex could do all of that stuff. Just like I was the dancer and the performer and the one who wrote raps and hosted shows and, you know, wanted to, you know, be a host and a radio per personality. Alex wasn't, that that wasn't his stilo. So I say all of that to say, there were times where we didn't want to take bookings without each other. Like there were times where people would want one of us for a booking and not the other and we would get offended and we would have to remind each other and be like hey bitch we just imagine if we never met each other and we were still out here doing all of this drag and doing all of these things we, we, we would still want to be successful even if we didn't have somebody coming along as our partner right and we always supported each other and told each other to go and get as many bookings as you can get with or without me you know what I'm saying? We're always going to be the house of menthol. We're always going to be family. We're always going to be a duo. We're always going to be family, right? So just because we get booked separately, that's just more money for the house. You know what I'm saying? That's just more money for all of us and more money for bathhouse and more money to, to, to produce all the shows that we want to produce because we had decided to start a business as the house of menthol and LLC and, and create it as like a drag production company where we would produce drag shows under the label house of menthol and it kind of be like a party promotion company so we were just starting a business together it was all of that and you know it was just all the things of the things but i say all of that to say alex would want me to continue on in in our legacy in his legacy in my own legacy he would just want me to continue because we encouraged each other to do it while he was still alive and so I remember that and, and I remember those talks and I remember those pep talks that, that, that he would give me. And I read those old text messages that he sent me telling me, bitch, you better go out there and get that coin. You, you better go out there and do it and take me with you and FaceTime me the whole way. Or he would go with me to shows and film all of my videos. Like if you look at a lot of my Shantae Arnett videos on, on that old channel of my drag performances, after a certain point, all of them are Alex. All of them are recorded by Alex. So I watch my old drag videos and I remember Alex because he's the one filming. I'm watching my own performance through Alex's eyes. And it connects me and it makes me miss him so much. I just, that's why it's hard for me to watch my, my old drag videos. Even now, it's still hard for me to watch them. There are some of them that I can watch when I'm having a good day and I'm reminiscing on the good times with me and Alex and I remember us talking about stuff that night and and like I remember what we did that night and things that happened and all those type of stuff. And sometimes it's good and then sometimes it's really bad. It's really bad. But yeah... Basically, I say all of that to say I'm coming back around. I've been inspired again. You know, I've been inspired specifically when it comes to drag. And that's why I'm not necessarily talking about um, my YouTube channel right now um, as a part of that timeline because my drag wasn't necessarily associated with my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina, when I created it. It had nothing to do with it. It was just me as a trans woman just getting in, 
calling into people's YouTube panels and talking on people's channels and people just really responding to me. And it inspired me to do another YouTube channel. I was going to do a podcast before that. Right before I started my YouTube channel, I was going to start another podcast Um, because I wanted the old podcast, the Essays with Essay podcast. I specifically wanted to do 50 episodes of that and just leave it where it is. Like Like I wanted that part of I wanted that podcast to be a limited series and I wanted it to just live on in infamy, right? Let me make a flag to link that podcast in the um, description of the podcast as well. But I really, I really, really um, have been inspired recently and I've missed being on stage and I've missed performing and the epicenter of that is drag. And I realized that even doing this podcast and coming back to YouTube and doing all of these things, I want to do that in drag. I want drag to be the foundation of that because I think I've felt my most comfortable as a performer when I was doing drag. And now I want to do everything that I was doing or do everything that I want to do as far as things that don't have to do with drag, like my music, like my YouTube channel, like this podcast. I want to envelop all of that under the Cherie Laveau drag umbrella and do all of that as my drag character because I feel most comfortable when I'm in my drag mindset, when I'm in drag, when I'm in the zhuzh and I'm feeling it, I feel my most comfortable. I feel like I'm in my final transformation. I feel like I've hit my Super Saiyan 4. Do you get what I mean? Um, And I feel like I'm my most confident in drag and I can do everything else that I want to do more effectively in drag. So that is how Melanie Monroe went and transformed into Cherie Laveau. I think I said that right. That's how Marilyn Monroe... Sorry. That is how Melanin Monroe became Cherie Laveau. I didn't realize how close those names were or how much those names sounded alike until I started um, drafting out the bullet points for this episode. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize how similar those names were. But, um... Yeah, so now I've created an entirely new character, a new aesthetic, a new backstory for the character. Like, I have a whole new thing happening. And Cherie Laveau is a love child of Grace Jones and Prince. They got together one night in Studio 54. They got a little too turnt. Um, I truly believe that Prince is not Grace Jones type, and I believe that Grace Jones was not Prince's type. But they're both these incredibly sexy people. They were both in Studio 54. They got together. They were a love child. Um, There was a love child created. That is me. And I eventually did my ancestry and realized that not only am I the love child of Prince and Grace Jones, but my ancestry traces directly back to Marie Laveau. So... We have a backstory, we have a character, we have a name that I think is just as good or better of a drag name than Melanie Monroe. I think if I wanted to come back to to drag, I felt like I had to have a name that was 
equally as good or better than the name that I had my most success in. And so I definitely wanted to be a part of that and, you know, connect those two things. But I didn't connect my names until recently. Like like when I thought of Cherie Laveau, I didn't think of Melanie Monroe and be like, oh, that's tight. I didn't think about it until I started creating this episode. But the goal was to have a name that was just as good, if not better, because I think that I still think that Melanie Monroe is one of the best drag names ever. But the reason why I feel like Cherie Laveau is better is because instead of being the black version of somebody else, it's a descendant of somebody who's black and already great. Do you get what I mean? And I feel like that is the natural evolution of me as a character. It's not me being a black version of what works in a white world. And I think that that was a very strong thread in the narrative of my old drag career and the way that I did drag previously. I think that now I'm coming in and I'm doing everything from as black of a perspective as I can get it. And I'm somebody who's a Virgo, which means I'm overly analytical and the details are extremely important to me. And so even the name had to be black as fuck. When you hear Cherie Laveau, you instantly think of Marie Laveau. You think of this black goddess. And most of the people nowadays think about Angela Bassett in American Horror Story and how much of a badass that woman was. And if you do the history, you'll know that Cherie Laveau was all... Cherie. Marie Laveau was also an amazing, amazing woman. And so... I wanted to instantly connect myself to that legacy. And the reason why I tie Prince and Grace Jones into that is because I have them tattooed on my arms. So I think it was just a funny thing to tie into the narrative and be like, well, I've got my parents tattooed on the inside of my arms, Prince and Grace Jones. That's why I have their tattoos. Um, But yeah, so with that being said, I think I've covered everything. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to be getting back on stage. I have the act. I have the aesthetic. I have the name. Um, But, you know, I'm not able to get back on stage right now. Monkeypox is out. COVID is still real. And I need to get my car fixed for one. And all the other things are, you know, two, three, and four. But... It'll be coming soon, and that is part of the reason why I decided to create this podcast in the meantime, because I wanted to stay active, I wanted to stay productive, and I wanted to get back out there and get my name back out there, or rather get my face and my voice out there, rather, under a new name, and, you know, just be productive, get back out there, start having conversations, start engaging again, and start doing my thing. And drag is kind of like the thread that ties all of those things together from me doing this podcast to me doing music to me doing drag to, you know, all the other things that I want to do with my career to me doing acting and all of these other things. I want to, you know, be as well-rounded of a performer as I can because that's always been the goal. I've always wanted to be a multi-hyphenate and I've always wanted to be somebody who did everything. You know what I mean? So... I want to do that under the Cherie Laveau name, and I hope that this podcast has been a good representation of the person that Cherie Laveau is, and I hope you guys have been have been enjoying Cherie Laveau's journey so far, because this is my first thing that I've done under the new moniker, and I think that this is one of the things that I'm most proud of that I've ever done 
Um, it feels the most natural. It feels the most fun. It's a good time outside of, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of everything that I've done, but I just think that this is something that was so organic and so easy and so natural, but it also feels like it can be impactful and educational and informative and it can be light and bubbly and fun, but it can also be, you know, something that's very special to people. And I appreciate that I'm able to create that not only for myself because I need that, but also for other people. And we can relate through something as simple as reality television and have deep conversations about any and everything. So this is just the start of Cherie Laveau. This is, this is the beginning. This <laughs> this is just the beginning. There's so much more to come. I can't wait till you guys see Cherie Laveau perform. I have an entire act. I have an entire way that I perform and how I'm coming to the stage is going to be different. So if you go to my YouTube channel and you see all those old videos of me performing back in the day, love it, enjoy it, feel the nostalgia for it because that, that that's not what you're going to be getting when I come back to the stage. It's going to be completely different and it's a full reinvention. And I'm really excited for that. But until then, I'm going to be having the, these amazing conversations right here on Real Reality Realness. So with that being said, I hope you, you, you guys are ready because we're going to be doing this five days a week. And we're going to be doing a video version on Sundays, like I said in the beginning of the episode. So lock in while I clock in because we're about to get into it, honey. Yes. <sighs> Let's take a quick break and I'm going to come back and wrap up the episode and remind you guys of where to find me, get ready to find the show, the super chat and all of that stuff. So we'll be right back. Okay, so really, really quick, I forgot to tell the story about that time that I auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race. And I'm going to squeeze that in really quick because I got caught up on the emotional roller coaster that was my actual drag career. And that time I auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race, I think it was actually season 11 or season 12. The reason I know that it was around that time is because I was manifesting that I was going to be on season 13 for some reason. I don't exactly know why 13 was the one for me, but I just kept manifesting like 13 is going to be my season for some reason. I, I guess I just like the unluckiness of the lucky number. But anyway... Um, this is going to be a quick story because it's not really that important. I just think it's funny that I did audition for Drag Race, but I, but I auditioned for the show, not really thinking I was ever going to get on. I didn't think that I would ever actually get cast on the show, but I did it because I wanted to actually experience what it was like to go through the audition process, to create a tape, to say that I did it. And who knows? People have gotten on. You know, you you hear the stories about people who get on with their shittiest tape, the ones where they don't try. It's not high production value and all this other type of shit. And then that be the one that that um, gets them on just because they're being themselves. I don't know where that tape is now. So don't expect me to do a video on my channel of me reacting to it. It's not going to happen. But I can't remember if I was truly being myself or not. I mean, I feel like I was being whatever version of myself I was at the time because I feel like I was somewhere, especially with my drag, I was somewhere between being a character and being like 
a hyperbolic version of myself. Do you get what I mean? Like, I feel like I was an over-dramatized version of who I really am in real life, but it was like myself on drag, which is yourself on steroids. So I can't really recall because I blacked a lot out after Alex died and I just kind of like shut my entire world down. And so I blocked a lot of my life out and I blocked out a lot of traumatic moments in my life. So like things things before the year 2020 are just fuzzy all the way back. Um, I remember things, but they may not be as clear as they were a couple years ago. But I don't... One thing I do know is that I wasn't ready as far as fashions go. I had clothes. I could create outfits. But I would have looked nothing like the girls looked on their season. I don't even know if I would have looked as good as Bob looked on season eight. No shade. Like, I had clothes, and I borrowed stuff from Alex, and Alex, you know, helped me put stuff together. But, you know what? The reason why I wasn't ready for that tape was because I was trying to be what I thought would get me on Drag Race while still trying to be myself. Like, I was trying to be the most drag race version of myself, right? So, like, people come on, and you know how RuPaul says, one thing I hear in every drag tape, drag race audition tape is, I'll cut a bitch. I would never say that. So I knew that I wasn't going to say something like that. But I feel like I was making the audition tape knowing that I didn't want to actually be on the show and knowing that I actually had strong feelings about the show and about how they displayed the talent of the people on the show. So I was going into the tape feeling ambivalent about even being on the show in the first place. And I think it probably read clear that and my clothes weren't as elevated as it as they were on season 10 or 11 or whichever one I was auditioning for. So I wasn't ready all the way around. And I think that it could, and I feel like you could probably read in my audition tape that I really didn't want to be on the show. Like I wasn't passionate about it. It wasn't something like I wasn't going to get on there and say something like Alyssa Edwards and be like, if you find another cross dresser better than me, I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars. Like I didn't have the unmitigated gall of Bob the Drag Queen to go in my audition tape and say, you know, this is, I'm going to win RuPaul's Drag Race and it's not going to be the biggest thing I do in my my career and you're going to benefit just as much, if not more, from me being on the show than I'll benefit from being on it. Like, I just didn't feel all that. I just saw Drag Race as a platform to set me up as a drag performer for all of the things that I wanted to do in my career. So for me, the goal or the dream wasn't to be on Drag Race. I just knew that Drag Race was the most equitable stepping stone that I had to get to all the things that I really wanted to do, like hosting, like radio, like podcasting, like music, like touring, you know, like if I would have gotten on Drag Race, I knew that I probably would have had the opportunity to be a red carpet correspondent at something like 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 the VMAs. And maybe it could have been me up there with Peppermint or Monet, not knowing who the hell the people were walking down the carpet. Just saying. So I think that it was very clear that I was not passionate about being on RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm kind of remembering making the tape 
as I'm talking about it now because I've blocked that out of my life like I think going into the story about going from me I'm talking about drag race to me talking about my life I kind of got so caught up in telling the um story that I blocked out uh, blocked out all auditioning for drag race because it wasn't something that I was super motivated to do and it wasn't something that I was disappointed that they never called me to to continue the process because one I wasn't ready as far as looks two I, I, I don't think I was ready as far as being able to handle the stress of the environment would I have made good tv yes I absolutely would have made good TV, but I don't think I would have looked back and been happy with my first season. And I would have been coming on All Stars if they ever invited me on All Stars trying to get a redemption arc instead of just trying to show the next level in my drag elevation. And so I'm kind of glad that I didn't get cast because I don't know if I would have been been as equipped or as experienced as I am now to go through that type of scrutiny. Because I always joke that if I did ever get on reality television, I'm sure that I would be a villain because I would not necessarily be mean and hateful, but I would be misunderstood and I have a dry sense of humor and I'm very short and like short and matter of fact. So people would probably just think I'm a bitch. And then I'm one of those people who's who has a very short fuse and I have a very low tolerance for bullshit. So I'm pretty sure that I would snap about something very quickly and I don't have a filter. Like I don't like, I don't have a problem being on camera. I've produced a web series before that ended up being a sizzle reel for, for a reality show. So I kind of know how the process works a little bit as far as self-producing goes anyway. But I know that I would have been good TV, but I wouldn't have been my best self had I gotten on Drag Race when I created that tape. Now, would I have had a decent snatch game? Probably, because the one thing I do remember about making that tape is enjoying the characters that I did for Snatch Game. I did Kathy Griffin, which was my wild card. I did Ayanla Van Zant, And I did Jennifer Lewis. Those were my three picks because I think you had to have three at the time or you had to have at least two characters for Snatch Game. And I did three. I think that was what it was. You have to have two just in case somebody else has the one that that you chose. So you have so you have to have a backup. And I ended up doing three characters. Um, And and Kathy Griffin was the wild card for me just because I love Kathy Griffin. I'm very familiar with Kathy Griffin. I've been watching her for years. I've seen every episode of my life on the D list. I've seen all of her, tw- all of her 20 something stand up specials. Like I love her to death. So I was very familiar with the character. Um, that was my wild card. I know I didn't look anything like her, but I feel like I kind of embodied her a little bit. I feel like Ayanla Van Zandt was like the medium one who I would have been safe, but I wouldn't have won. I feel like I could have gotten a high placement with Jennifer Lewis, though, um, because that was the one that I was most comfortable in. That was the one that I was most confident in. That was the one that I felt like I could expand out further than just Jennifer Lewis lines in movies. Um, And I think I know the most Jennifer Lewis references. Like, I know so many of the movies that she's been in, so many of the references that she says, her YouTube presence, her social media presence. I would have done a high kick. I would have worn mules and a little suit with a little uh, baby Afro wig and killed it. Um, I would have done a high kick for for, uh, the book. I... I wouldn't have wanted nobody fucking with, with me in these streets. I would have been the mother of Black Hollywood. Like, I would have, like, I feel like I would have done the best 
with Jennifer Hudson. Hudson, Christ. Congratulations on your talk show, Jennifer Lewis. I feel like that would have been the one that, that I would have done the best at. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much my Drag Race audition. Um, I completed it to the best of my ability. Like, I got a tape done. It had all the things that it needed to have. But I'm sure that it wasn't anything that they would have seen as somebody who should have been on the show. I probably looked like I didn't want to be there. I probably looked like I didn't care about getting on. It probably came off that I was ambivalent about even joining the, the show in the first place. And, you know, I just did it to say that I did it, to say that I had the experience because I was in the drag drag streets at the time and all the girls were that was their goal like that was their overall goal was to get on drag race and I was like well let's just do it for the experience of doing it whatever sure and my lip sync song that I did for the audition tape was that's what I'm looking for by by Debrat. so I don't know if there's any other information like for people who have auditioned for the show um, what they did for their tapes. I was trying to like let you guys know what I did for the audition tape. Um, I think that's it. So yeah, let's actually close the episode now. All right, bye. All right, all right, everybody. That is it. That is the real reality of drag and drag race. This has been a long episode. I thank you guys for tuning in, which you guys know that I don't care about a time length. I don't care how long an episode is, as long as it's good. Like I said, Joe Budden has got me spoiled. And shows like Drink Champs, Joe Budden, shows like that. I love podcasts that are extremely long form. So I don't child fuck a time limit. If y'all are willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. And I think that's the beauty of podcasting. So long episode or not, I hope that the content was good enough to keep you here until the point of listening to this part of the show. Um, Don't be alarmed that there are now ads in the episodes i appreciate you guys so much thanks to you guys and me um reaching a milestone in my podcast in my podcast viewership i'm i now qualify for ads in my podcast so thank you guys we are officially quote unquote monetized um so i appreciate all of you guys in the past seven days since this podcast is launched, just help get me here. It really means a lot. And I'm going to give you guys my all. I'm going to give you everything I have. And I hope that hearing the story of my journey, not only just through RuPaul's Drag Race, but also through drag as a whole, I hope it helps you kind of understand a, a, a little more of my story about how I got to this point. And, you know helps you decide to put your seatbelt on and take the ride with me for everything that we have coming up because we really have some amazing things coming up, not just here on the podcast, but just in general. And I appreciate every single one of you guys for giving me the opportunity to entertain you. So with that being said, I'm about to get out of here. If you like the episode, like the episode. Um, I don't know if you can actually like the episodes. I'm just used to saying that at this point. But like the podcast, share, subscribe, 
follow the podcast, subscribe to it, however you got to do it. Hit the notification bell so you know when I upload new episodes. There will be new episodes every weekday, Monday through Friday. And make sure you guys go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina. That's Georgia, spelled like Georgia Smith, J-O-R-J-A. And Carolina, spelled like both states. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification there. Hit the notification bell there because every Sunday at 8 a.m. I'm going to be releasing a new episode of Real Reality Realness, The the Super Chat, which is going to be an after show slash recap show of all things the past week of Real Reality Realness and what you can expect to be coming up on this week of Real Reality Realness. First episode is coming up on Sunday, so make sure you guys subscribe and get over there. Um, click the link in all of my click the link in all of my social medias. The Instagram for the show Real Reality Realness is Real Reality Realness on Instagram. My personal Instagram is is Cherie Laveau, C H E R I L A V E A U, and that is the same as my Twitter account Cherie Laveau. I think I got it all. I'm trying to make sure that I hit all the points, cover everything, make sure that I've talked about everything, tell you guys to subscribe. Thank you all for getting me to a point where I qualify for ads. Um, Make sure you leave me a voicemail, leave me questions. If you want me to do anything as far as specific questions you want me to um, ask, shows you want me to cover, this and the third. If you have ideas for episodes, if you have ideas for people who you think that I should reach out to as guests, know that I only want to talk to content creators who create content around reality TV or if they are people who have been on reality TV, have some connection to creating content. And um, yeah, so... I have a lot of interviews coming up. I'm going to do another bout, another batch of announcements soon. And I'm excited because the names are getting bigger. I'm not going to spoil anything and tell you anything here. But let me just say that I have some really exciting interviews coming up. And I mean some interesting interviews. Um, so with that being said, I'm... I'm going to go, but I appreciate every single one of you again and again and again. I'm going to keep saying thank you until I'm blue in the face. I will talk to you guys later. Make sure you you subscribe, do all the things, click all the things, hit all the bells, subscribe to the YouTube channel and get ready because the super chat will be up Sunday. But this is our last episode for the week. And on Monday, we're going to have martinis with Eddie. So I'll see you guys later. Love you. Peace.